Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is Robbie Martin. Well, there's not much to say at the beginning of this podcast, except for if you didn't listen to part one of our two and a half hour COVID discussion, please go back and listen to that because we're just about to jump right into our second part of that discussion. So get ready for another two and a half hours of Abby and I discussing COVID. The way that people get on a high horse about the hissing contest aspect of how anti-establishment, how like anti-deep state, how anti-pharmaceutical, how anti-authority you are. For example, and this is a guy who follows me on Twitter, so it's totally no shade on him. But, you know, it to me, it seems lacking some understanding. So, like, I don't see eye to eye with uh, Yasha Levine on the pandemic issue. But I, but, I, but I noticed someone who sort of, I think, is like a mutual f- fan of both of ours or something who was like, the guy who wrote Surveillance Valley doesn't think, like, burgeoning biometric uh, surveillance grid is a big deal. And, it, and he posted, like, a little uh, meme of, like, a guy smoking with the bloodshot eyes, like the black and white, like, thing. <laughs> And what's interesting about that comment, what's particularly interesting to me about that comment, Abby, is I know, and maybe I'm speaking a little bit out of turn here, but I feel like I know pretty well that Yasha Levine wrote Surveillance Valley partially in the climate of like the Snowden NSA leaks and the way people were reacting to the NSA leaks being like, now Big Brother is coming to get us. Like now we're Mm -hmm. screwed. Mm -hmm. This surveillance grid is here now and now is the dangerous time. And Yasha Levine's take was more like, actually, the entire internet from the very beginning was a military creation. <laughs> and this whole like Tor, like crypto encryption thing is also like, it seems like it could also be like a trap. And hey, maybe the entire internet from the very beginning, people were, that was their idea from the very beginning was sort of, I think, his perspective. So it's just funny to me to someone use that book as like a counter to his view on the, uh, the pandemic now. And in reality, it's like he he tends to take a more historical long view on things. And that's probably why he doesn't share your perspective on the pandemic and think that this is like, this is the turn, you know, where this is the turn of like this specific type of like, now comes the surveillance biometric lockdown. His perspective is, I'm guessing, is more like, actually, this has been here for a long time. Like, we're all being locked down biometrically in surveillance in surveillance based ways for like decades already. Like, what are you talking about? You know? So to act as if now yeah. is the moment where everybody should be rallying and this is the moment. I mean, I get it on a level, but it's like it is also not like a federal top down thing, like especially just here in the States. It's not even like airline security after nine eleven, where every single airport had a fucking federal mandate. This has all been left up to the states fragment in a sense so really who are you going to coalesce this rallying against it needs to be an organization a face a politician but not just a mentality so i think that that's the problem it's like you're they're basically trying to go against a mentality rather than like being able to, to really focus it on something and i think that's why you see these convenient foils like fauci continually being the focus mm-hmm. you know here i mean I can understand it because it's easy. It makes sense because there's really no one else to, I guess, point the finger at. But at a certain point, it's like, who is really to blame for what's going on 
right now? And I think that that question is not as easy to answer as it was after like 9-11 with like what the Bush administration managed to pull off. That was way more clear cut. So I can't get fully on board this sort of like, this is the globalist takeover. Because that's basically what the narrative is. This is like the globalist. Yeah. Can you explain that whole, you were, you know, you're about to go into Robert Malone and MRNA and like the whole great reset thing. Like, can you explain what that mentality is about the great reset and the globalist takeover? Like, how does that fit into the COVID stuff? Like corporations themselves use the term great reset or like some advocacy groups did, like some public health groups even did use that term as if, you know, I don't know if you remember that scene from Endgame where uh, <laughs> Avengers Endgame, I'm talking about it again, <laughs> where at the beginning of the movie, like Captain America gets like all cucked and he's like, he like believes in the great reset a little bit from the blip. He's like, actually, I just mm-hmm. saw like, like humpback whales like breaching over at the water. Like I never used to happen or something like, cause there's so little people around like now uh, acting like that was positive. Like the blip, maybe actually there's some good things about the, you know, half the people dying in the galaxy or the yeah. universe. The jobs yeah. that the blip. So there bring. was like a great reset, <laughs> like a different version of like what that meant, you know, where you would see it right after the pandemic, like, Oh, like, we have like the, you know, the air is cleaner. Like I think there was like some European countries that put out things saying like our air is so clean right now. Look how amazing this is, the great reset or something like that. I think it's a term that probably maybe even predated COVID seems to have come from the World Economic Forum itself. Even though the the term, the great reset has been around for decades and decades, it's meant all sorts of different things. It's been used for different marketing cycles and all, all different, it's been applied to all different things. In this sense, it's being used primarily because the World Economic Forum was involved in what is known as Event 201, which was the sort of uh, the coronavirus, simulated coronavirus pandemic drill uh, that was sponsored by John Hopkins and I forget which other groups, the Bill and Melinda Gates also uh, foundation also sponsored part of it. But the World Economic Forum was also one of the sponsors of it. And because of that sort of concept early on in these sort of more alternative media narratives, more conspiracy narratives about how COVID was a pandemic, like the mo- you know that movie that came out, that documentary, this sort of all beca- it took float back then. So this idea of the Great Reset has been espoused uh, as sort of a, a positive thing by these sort of like, you know, elites at the World Economic Forum, specifically from the guy, the founder and executive chairman of the World Economic Forum, uh, a guy named Klaus Schwab, who has sort of taken on this George Soros-like status among uh, people who like to talk a lot about globalists and sort of the global elites. And they that's sort of their focus you know, it's sort of almost like a weird bridge or pathway from like capitalist critique leftism in, in in sort of like a realm of like, you know, this quasi-populist right, like diffuse, like, a, you know, 30 seconds of hate, like yelling at like a globalist in another country, <laughs> like, a, like not going after like our own oligarchs here kind of a thing. Um, even though there are like a lot of American oligarchs who show up at the World Economic Forum. Uh, but Klaus Schwab has sort of become this you know, enemy number one kind of a guy. You even saw his face on like these wanted posters at that uh, that rally that took place in D.C. 
over the weekend that was sort of advertised as an anti-mandate rally, but was in fact really just sort of like a like a COVID conspiracy, like kind of soft QAnon rally. But this guy's net worth, apparently it's just under $1 billion. A lot of people see him as having like this sort of Machiavellian level of influence. And that's partly why I think people have glommed on to the World Economic Forum. But I think in reality, it's sort of a forced in thing that has largely taken place because of uh, the sort of idea that China controls the Davos class, the World Economic Forum, that China controls these people. And I think that that's sort of part of why that's evolved that way is because it conveniently fits inside that Steve Bannon paradigm, this sort of conspiratorial worldview that benefits like a certain, seemingly like a certain sector of the elites that want to ride on this sort of populist outrage. So, yeah, no, I think it, it is really interesting that people are constantly talking about the World Economic Forum when it comes to COVID because I guess they had an event titled The Great Reset. And, and was that event talking about pandemic strategies or like the biosecurity state or whatever? Yeah, it was sort of after. Well, no, I mean, I think that some of those things were probably were were raised in the discussion, but it was sort of presented as like, this is like an opportunity to sort of reshape the world in our positive vision. But it's not, you would expect it, based on a lot of the ways that people talk about this, you would expect it to have like way more crazy, like transhumanist discussions uh, speakers and stuff like that. And it really is fairly milquetoast in the grander scheme of things when you actually like watch these speeches. So I was noticing like some of the more hot, you know, Klaus Schwab videos from the World Economic Forum uh, are like just, they don't really have that pop, that sizzle that like Alex Jones, uh, you know, when he would pass around videos of like elites back in the day would have where he would show a, you know, a magazine article from the Sun Microsystems CEO saying that, uh, answering the question of if he had a chance to come back as any animal or creature, what would he come back as? And he says, I would come back as a, uh, a like a plague that would kill uh, 90% of humanity. Excuse me? <laughs> so like, what? those are the, so it's like Claude Schwab is not saying, like you would expect based on the way that people are talking about the world. That these people are like openly eugenicists yes. or something, but it's not as crazy as that. I think probably what's really driving it, like I said, is the, Oh, and I should also mention Klaus Schwab himself wrote a book called The Great Reset. So this is not just coming out of thin air. This is not like a right-wing conspiracy talking point, but it's sort of become this you know, specific worldview that's omitting certain elites and just focusing in on this group. But I do think it goes back to the Event 201 thing, which you know John Hopkins and some of the other people who had involvement in Event 201 also had involvement in dark winter and there are there is crossover from the biodefense industry in both simulations and and frankly i mean i don't think that i'm not convinced that this is a man-made virus at all i just haven't been mm -hmm. convinced but the event 201 thing is pretty creepy it's like really eerily like dark winter it's even weirder actually than dark winter i don't know if you've watched any of it but it's a strange thing to watch that you can watch it it's all filmed and I mean, I could see how that creeped people the fuck out into thinking that these people must have had something to do with this. Like, in a weird way, I could sympathize with that more paranoid view. It's like watching that simulation, you could jump, I could see that leap that people would take to be like, yeah, these some, somehow these people had something to do with it. But I think that's the connection that's ultimately driving, like, even the Great Reset, uh, just as a phrase being so used, you know, in in sort of the more conspiratorial realm. So event 201 is a simulation of like pandemic exercises. 
and not just any pandemic exercises, like very specifically, like a novel coronavirus. It has like such specificity that it's like eerie. It happened also eerily close to the pandemic in such a way where I could see people would freak out about it and have sort of that, oh my God, these people did it, you know, kind of a thing. It does have a lot of sort of meat to sink your teeth into as far as like conspiracy uh, material. But again, it doesn't really mean anything necessarily. It's just, I, I guess my logic on the idea of like a man-made thing or even just this being planned, I mean, I just don't, it's much harder for me to wrap my head around that kind of conspiracy than other conspiracies I have been able to wrap my head around. You know, if anybody planned that it, it was the U.S. did it somehow. <laughs> like that's where, <laughs> that's, that's where my head would go, but I don't fucking know, dude. Yeah, I'm, I mean, it would be interesting to see what event 201 proposed like what did the simulation turn into did it turn into some sort of policy prescription from you know bill and melinda gates and let's see i guess the whole thing was launched with the world economic forum and the gates foundation which is also like yeah but at the same time i mean these people have been talking about the impending pandemic for like every year it's like they issue some sort of call for you know, urgency to deal with what they know was coming. But I will but, say oh, that I... Really quickly, I wanted ahead. to say that it actually took place on October 18th, 2019. So the timing is like even close, eerily oh, closer, wow. which is, I could see that really creeping people out. It's very vague what it says that just says that it will cause severe, major cascading economic and societal consequences and can greatly contribute to global impact and suffering. That's like all that there are... And it just says, then we need to like fill these important gaps in pandemic preparedness. Very vague overall recommendations. I mean, but the the specificity comes in that where it gets creepier is that it is a novel coronavirus. If they weren't proposing like some sort of draconian police state response to deal with the preparedness, then I, I guess I don't see it's it's interesting and it is very weird and creepy. Mm -hmm. But like other than that, I just. I feel like it is just like a coincidence. Well, no, I mean, like, I think that what you're what you're saying is more important. It's like, what were the rec? What was the actual like conclusions drawn from the exercise by the like policymakers after the fact? Is that's mm -hmm. the real right, right. question to ask? The simulation itself typically doesn't have, even though these things are fucking creepy. Sometimes they could be some something that you know that's that's a lot more insidious than what they seem. Um, but it's like we don't. I, I think just the exercise alone doesn't seem to shed light on like what the, you know, the, the, like this draconian bi biometric security grid type of shit. Right. It's not, it doesn't about that. Right. And what's interesting is I'm looking at InfoWars right now to see what they've been saying about mm -hmm. the Great Reset and stuff. And, you know, it's just kind of the same kind of stuff that you've seen on InfoWars for the last 20 years, frankly, about like biometric surveillance and uh, like the chip ultimately, right? Mm -hmm. Um so the implanting of like a, a chip in your brain kind of shit. And apparently, apparently a quote from the World Economic Forum is this, uh, quote, digital acceleration has also put the limelight back onto security issues. Much of the world's moved online, um, you know, involving sharing personal or business information remotely with an ever widening number of entities. Not only that, but when people started wearing masks, Facial recognition security systems were stumped. And basically it says um, 
you know, one solution to this conundrum may be the unique pattern of your heartbeat, which is fucking really creepy. They start talking about cardio ID devices that you could like detect an individual's unique cardiac signature using an infrared laser, but it's a quote from uh, the World (laughs) Economic Forum like website, I guess, or their actual discussion. So yeah, so, so, yeah, so it, they found so, so Infowars yeah. sounds like they found some yeah. kind of nice nuggets there, right? Um, but which is again, like it's just so funny that these people just casually talk about the shit. It's like so far out there and insane, and like I don't know anything else about the forum other than what Infowars has cherry picked from it. So, just going back to Dark Winter really quickly, I just also wanted to mention that CSIS, that think tank uh, that I mentioned, that as you pointed out, Abby is. Uh, was instrumental in helping Biden pick his cabinet and had a big influence on that. Um, They were partly behind. They were one of the large uh, sponsors of the original Dark Winter. Um, And they were like real pioneers of this. Now, I don't think they had any involvement in Event 201, but they did have involvement in Dark Winter. And I should also say that there are a lot of different sponsors and people groups involved with Event 201. And just so people... Don't think I'm exaggerating. This is actually from one of the sponsors' websites that sponsored Event 201, the Center for Health and Security. Um, They say on their own description summary of it, similar to the center's three previous exercises, Clade X, Dark Winter, and Atlantic Storm, Event 201 aimed to educate senior leaders at the highest level of U.S. government and leaders in global industries. So that's an interesting, because like that's not the way Dark Winter is actually presented. It's not presented like it's trying to influence leaders in global industries. Um, but it, the fact that they say, you know, this is like in the tradition of Dark Winter, um, that should send a chill down your spine that like this would happen so quickly before a pandemic. But again, it's like, you, you we don't know. We do not know if this is related. And if it is, then fucking A, you know, we should like, it, but anyways, like it's just like, we, we just don't know. I think that basically... Um, I guess I just personally prefer this more of a conspiracy frame than a lot of the other ones that are being pushed now. Because mm-hmm. this one like feels more like, yeah, I could understand this one at least, you know. Um, but anyways. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this doesn't change my opinion on anything, you know. I mean, it is, I do at least understand where, what people are talking about and I do see where they're coming from. But to think that, you know, the global elites are convening, openly discussing implementing like a biosecurity state and at the same time yeah we're behind it (laughs) and and totally concocting like this false narrative that everyone in the world essentially is like standing behind you know including enemy countries of the u.s who have taken pretty extreme measures in their own right um it doesn't it just doesn't gel no it's and it's sort of like on you know that's bad enough if they're just openly talking about how to take advantage of this pandemic scenario and how to increase surveillance and biometric stuff that's bad enough they don't need to be behind the pandemic yeah Um, but it's it's like bill and melinda gates foundation i would say like that's probably as far as any of the villains so far in this whole larger frame like household name he's the one that i think is probably most over a real target because he he is oddly all of a sudden positioned to be like i'm the dude like i fucking knew like i was like really on top of this i knew the shit was coming i've been spending almost billions of dollars like on like R&D, like helping companies like Moderna (laughs) develop these things. So it is sort of weird that he's just all of a sudden like in such a position of influence 
And it's just yeah. sort of like accepted now. Like he's the pandemic guy. And that's that is kind of like an unacceptably bizarre thing to have happen. And and yeah, I mean like I don't Bill Gates just does seem like a fucking creep. Like he does seem like a sociopath. He also had um gatherings with Epstein, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's apparently, Abby, that's part of why Melinda uh, Gates got a divorce from him. Mm-hmm. Uh that was the rumor, and I believe it. I mean, maybe she didn't know the full extent of it. Like I actually that a lot of people didn't know the full extent of his relationship with Epstein until maybe the last year and a half. That was more of a later thing that came out. If you get creepy vibes from Bill Gates, that's completely warranted. The dude's fucking sex pest. God knows what happened behind closed doors with him and Epstein or why they were so close. Um, But yeah, I mean, to your point, like, it is bad enough that these people are just openly discussing biometric security measures that seem pretty over the top because that's pretty much all that this is and that is bad enough and that is what we should be focusing on and the fact that they're they've just profited immensely and siphoned so much wealth it's like it's incomprehensible the amount of wealth that's been transferred from like the poorest people in this country and just globally to these same people who just kind of flippantly discuss the solutions that will just further further enrich themselves like it, it is just stunning that this is the way that the world works but like there it doesn't have to be like a a grand conspiracy behind it it's just that this is the conspiracy like these people are just convening talking about how can they further exploit this crisis that's capitalism (laughs) yeah it's not like the group in and of itself represents something unique it's like these people plus a bunch of other people and there's a lot of people trying to act like they're playing the other side who are also elites, and that's what's, I think, more at least more fascinating to me. The more brazen stuff like this is fascinating, and it does seem to attract the most attention, especially with this pivot where all the conspiracy people are all about Klaus Schwab now, you know, in addition to George Soros. But as we sort of know now, you know, with all the experience we've had doing deep politics and alt-media research, it's all these groups. It's all the people in all these groups. right. So to deduce it to down to one group, yeah. it's like, come on, at this point, like we're no longer in fucking Alex Jones, the Bilderberg group world. It's like, it's not just about one specific group that meets one time a year. It's about a conglomeration of oligarchs, hundreds of them that dictate a lot of this stuff. And yeah, they may say things at the World Economic Forum that you can glean uh, information from, but at the same time, that's public record. They're going to really lay out their great reset plans to like squeeze everybody on the planet, and then they're, they're going to materialize those. It's just not as clear cut as that. Yeah, you're right. The it's it's every think tank. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's every group. It's yeah. That's what I realized a long time ago. I was like, why is there so much focus on Bilderberg when like there's barely any focus on like. You know, I yeah. mean, there was a lot of focus on PNAC, obviously, but you know what I'm talking about. Um, all these at uh, the CNAS. Well, let's say it's maybe unfair. Uh, you know, it goes to on and on. Target Bilderberg Group as something that's like ridiculous to be fixated on because it is. It does take on a special quality no, of crazy. secretly meeting and like really crazy places around the world every year. Like it's different than the other ones, but. Yeah, and big decisions are made yeah. coming out of Bilderberg. I get that. But these people are also in other yeah, exactly. think tanks and groups that are very influential and are totally So maybe the radar. that's a bad, a bad example, but Trilateral Commission and, um, and the other one are probably mm-hmm. better examples of just like random focus. Like the Council on Foreign Relations, yeah, it has a lot of influence, but so does like Brookings. And like Alex Jones and the right, right. libertarian people like never talked about Brookings ever. It's like, why not? I mean, 
Yeah, like why did they miss those? It's like those were really like hugely influential. Or CSIS. It's like CSIS actually has actually dictated pandemic proposal, like pandemic legislation in the U.S. and nobody talks about them anymore. Exactly. And they were heavily influencing Biden's transition team and also his administration. Robbie, what I see now You know, you mentioned six months ago, it seemed like people had a more level-headed response about this and approach and were able to kind of be more nuanced in the discussion and understanding and stuff. And it seems like the brain melt is getting more and more extreme to the point where now, you know, January 2022, it's gone completely off the rails. It's very dogmatic, very ideologically rigid. And I see a lot of people backing up their beliefs, you know, with Robert Malone, who is, you know, he was instrumental in the mRNA research, I guess, the the invention of mRNA technology back when he was at Princeton or whatever, with a huge group of other scientists. It wasn't just him. He's a very mainstream figure in the right-wing ecosphere of the media talking about how vaccines are dangerous and that they're actually the ones, the vaccinated people are the ones causing the mutations now. Take it away. Like, what do you know about Robert Malone? I know that you you watched a little bit of him on Joe Rogan. Like, what is he saying about the Great Reset? Well, I mean, he's not really saying anything, I think, that intelligent or, like, in-depth about this idea of the Great Reset. I mean, that's why I kind of almost avoided wanting to go into that concept specifically because it's like you watch his interview on the Joe Rogan show, and to be completely honest, I didn't find him very smart on the idea of, like, geopolitics, world economics, or geostrategic affairs. In fact, to me, it just seemed like a guy who had a background in science, who maybe came from within the bio, I mean, he did come from within the biodefense establishment, like, which is a pretty sketchy industry, and later seems to have become just more of like one of those guys who got more into like alt media, and just sort of was influenced by the narratives in alt media, and more or less parrots those narratives. But he's, he uses this phrase, Abby, in the interview called mass formation psychosis. And this <laughs> uh, phrase became very viral and people on some level were like, this is fucking it, dude. We did not have the language to describe what was happening before our very eyes before. And now we fucking do. And this is the fucking golden key, dude. This is fucking it. And this is why Reuters is fact-checking Robert Malone on this idea of mass formation psychosis. So what I mean by that is like Reuters, after this Joe Rogan interview came out, ran a fact check saying like mass formation psychosis is not a phenomenon. It's like not a psychologist like DSMV, you know, term or whatever. It's like, okay, like I don't know why, you know, these news agencies even have to run things like this now. It just makes people believe this shit even more. You know, they just double down even more because then they're like, oh, Twitter censored Robert Malone and now Reuters is fact checking him. That means like he's fucking really threatening to the establishment. Yeah, especially when you have Reuters former CEO on fucking Pfizer's board. It's like, well, what are you doing? Yeah, so it's like they're really just, you know, making these things seem even more credible by acting like Robert Malone even needs to be debunked with the with the power of the Reuters you know newswire service it's it seems really unnecessary because you watch the interview on its own and frankly he says he took uh the mRNA vaccine 
that he took it, it's based on his own, something that he helped develop. He is literally one of the guys that helped develop mRNA vaccines. And he's become presented as sort of a guy who is telling you the way it is during the pandemic and is like anti-vaccine. But in reality, he takes a vaccine, he actually advocates for it. It's not this clear-cut thing where he's like a whistleblower on mRNA technology. So that's partly what's interesting about it. And there's all these strange things about his background. Malone was like involved in trying to develop all these different therapeutics against COVID with another guy that he uh, worked with named Michael Callahan. And this is weird because Malone uh, says that Michael Callahan is a CIA guy. And, but he's actually like colleagues with this guy. So for some reason, uh, Robert Malone and this um, CIA agent guy named Michael Callahan, they get access to like the Wuhan area right when the outbreak started, as early as December 2019. And this is while the Callahan guy was actually working for DARPA. And this is really weird. So this guy Callahan and Malone, they decide that Pepsid AC, famine tidine, an over-the-counter drug, is going to be the most effective therapeutic against COVID. Now, I mean, I don't know if there's any data to back that up now, uh, like if that's something that people talk about now, but that's just a weird thing to say that like this over-the-counter drug was going to be the most effective thing like right after the pandemic, you know? So if you're, I guess if all these conspiracy people are pushing Robert Malone, it's like, well, there's some weird things about Robert Malone that are kind of like in the wheelhouse of like some of the people for EcoHealth Alliance and like these other people that you guys think are like behind the pandemic, you know, when it comes to like being mm -hmm. in the biodefense industry, having the ridiculous level of prescience to like go out to Wuhan right after this and then decide this drug is a therapeutic that'll work against COVID. I mean, what kind of knowledge did Robert Malone already have or inside information about coronavirus gain of function research to even come up with that? And then, all, and then this is also weird. He apparently sort of also had the prescience to know that hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, fluvoxamine uh, were going to be used as therapeutic for COVID like immediately after it happened. And apparently, the, according to Gumby, he calculated this uh, with a computer program analysis that like was, is done at the Pentagon. And, they f and this computer program calculated that these drugs would be like the ones to use. Um, so wait, 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 <laughs> yeah, what? <laughs> wait, wait, because I, I always thought it was an artificially signal boosted thing. Not, not to say or discount the effectiveness of ivermectin or whatever. I'm sure that they have been effective for some people. Right. And I'm not, I'm totally open-minded to like alternative remedies and whatever. A lot of them are also big pharma alternatives, right? A lot of these are expensive remedies that, you know, when in a country that doesn't have healthcare, I don't know who can actually afford taking all the stuff that people are recommending, but it did seem like several of them were artificially boosted right from the get-go. And I didn't understand why, why ivermectin was being pushed so hard. Well, I mean, if, if you remember before ivermectin, it was uh, hydroxychloroquine. And yes, th according to this, so one of Gumby's beliefs is that this guy Callahan just couldn't have organically discovered that so early. He thinks it's suspicious that one of Malone's colleagues already has a therapeutic idea, something as specific as Pepsid AC. 
on, on January 4th, 2020. And then, yeah, like, what does this mean for how we got pushed hydroxychloroquine by the Trump administration? Was this because this came out of this computer calculation originally? I mean, it, it just raises more questions. So this guy is an insider. He was working for a Pentagon program called Domain around the time the pandemic happened. I mean, so what kind of whistleblower is this guy actually? And what is he really telling people that's that challenging to the narratives right now? And that's the part I'm a little bit confused on. To me, it does just seem like a more globalist, great reset type conspiratorial worldview. I guess he makes some other specific medical claims. He believes that there's also a concept called antibody dependent enhancement. So when you were saying when you started, when you introduced this topic, uh, this idea of the more vaccinated people there are, the more you can get sick. Uh, He pushes an idea called antibody dependent enhancement where because of mRNA specifically, uh, he thinks that somehow you can actually get infected worse or that you're, you're more likely to get infected the more vaccinated you are. I don't understand quite the reason he said this. This is a different argument he's making than the more general argument you've seen from a couple other scientists saying that vaccinations you know, during a pandemic cause more variants. That's a different argument. So there's two different contradicting narratives. One of them is that vaccines do absolutely nothing. It doesn't reduce your risk of getting sick. Uh, doesn't reduce your risk of death or hospitalization, and it certainly doesn't reduce your risk of transmission. In fact, according to people like Robert Malone, it may increase your risk of both sickness and transmission. But a lot of these same people are also saying the vaccines and the vaccinated population are what is driving the variants and the mutations of the disease because the vaccinations are forcing the vaccine to become more, you know, powerful, like superbugs with, um, you know, Roundup Ready and all that with Monsanto. So both kind of can't be true at the same time. Are the vaccinations working to the point where the virus is having to mutate to go around the vaccinated population? Or are the vaccinations not working at all, right? And, And they basically do nothing and it's just a giant power grab. So I feel like there's a lot flying around and a lot of it like doesn't make sense when you kind of put it together well that's i I think now it's time to actually because that's the thing right it's like when we talk about are the vaccines themselves the weapon or one of the delivery methods for this like power grab by the elites because i think that that's one of the general underlying arguments here well here's what's interesting there are countries that have made their own vaccines india well, wait, before you say this, do you want to talk about the mass formation psychosis, how it's basically just talking about propaganda since we're on the Robert Malone kick? Or do you want it to say that I mean, later? yeah, I mean, if you want to finish off the raw, I, I feel like we can yeah. finish it off talking about him okay. now. I mean, okay. yeah, the mass formation psychosis thing is basically just this idea of people listening to authority and 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 listening to propaganda and doing what they're told and sort of following each other's lead. You know, you see other people creating this formation. And I think this is a concept that has previously existed. And it probably actually has a more specific definition than this, but he's applying it to what he's seen with the way people are reacting to COVID and just sort of, in his mind, caving to authority and sort of taking the vaccine. I just don't understand why that's such a revelation to people, this phrase. But apparently it was 
And a lot of people found it very inspirational. You know, just like certain people found very inspirational from the QAnon postings. When Mm -hmm. we read those, we're like, I mean, I don't fucking get it. You know, like, how is this awakening people's urge to fight the deep state or whatever with these really just very simplistic postings and rallying cries? Similar thing to Malone, but maybe it's just because he has so much science background, he really sort of both makes these things seem more authoritative to people. I don't know. Um, but being banned off Twitter definitely didn't help lower his credibility to anyone. It did the opposite. Everyone's like, okay, they fucking banned him. This is the most important interview we're ever going to watch on Joe Rogan. Everybody needs to watch this shit. It was just blasted all over the place. And then as soon as he was banned, Abby, he it, it becomes everyone gets on Gitter, which is a alternative social network mm-hmm. that is a scam run by Miles Guo that was originally a Chinese-language social media website ran by Steve Bannon's fugitive Chinese billionaire backer that they nuked the entire user base for and rebranded it as like a MAGA-friendly social media site for. So it's just hilarious that all these right-wingers, because of this Robert Malone banning off Twitter, went to Gitter to what was originally a Chinese-language social media website that got like basically had its own great reset. <laughs> they <laughs> nuked the user base, deleted all the users, and not even if that wasn't like unethical enough. I mean, imagine all like the original Chinese users who just had accounts there. They had all their accounts nuked, sad, you know, just so they could rebrand. And then on top of that, that wasn't bad enough. They actually inflate the counts of all the people who have migrated over from Twitter. Because according to them, their logic is that, well, we don't want you to start over. So it's like, well, basically what you're saying is you have fake, you just have, everybody just has fake followers. So the numbers are all fake, like the stats. So if you see someone has like 70,000 yeah. followers, like Zuby Music, that totally like bland, <laughs> like weird, random chance, like right wing, like, I don't know what the fuck is, guy, you know, gets on a getter from Twitter uh, he immediately accumulates like 80,000 followers. And it's like, well, how'd that happen? That's your reward. And it's your reward. You get 70,000 And it's like, bots. well, what about, you know, and maybe 10,000 of those are real Gitter users, but what about the other 70,000? So you're just saying that you just do this to any, like that's just discredits the entire model like automatically. <laughs> right. It should be totally organic. It's like the whole point is creating these alternatives that are organic and not <laughs> artificial and yeah. like not controlled by billionaire, like, like what the fuck? Anti-communist, like censors. Exactly, dude. Exactly. Um, but, but I just wanted to sum up the Robert Malone thing. It is so fascinating. I see this phrase ad nauseum now. You're seeing it too. Mass formation psychosis, mass formation psychosis, mass formation. You're a victim of mass formation psychosis. It's like, first of all, the concept of manufacturing consent has existed. This is, this is a concept that has existed since the creation of like modern media. Look at Goebbels, look at Edward Bernays, like all of these things have been out there. This guy's just rebranding it in his own language, right? And talking about this mass hypnosis because of this appeal to authority. We're in an unprecedented time. There's a global pandemic. A lot of people in this country have no idea. um, There's no concept of public health. There's no consciousness about 
the science, right? And so you almost have no choice but to appeal to people who are experts in certain fields when it comes to what we're experiencing right now. So it is so funny to have this guy come out there and be like, you're hypnotized and that's why you're getting vaccinated. It's like, well, dude, you were vaccinated. You were part of the creation of mRNA technology and you fucking got the Moderna vaccine. It's just, it just, I don't even, I don't get it. I mean, because when you really get into the meat of what he's saying and they look into his background, especially, I mean, he's not anti-pharmaceutical company. He was fundamentally like a very important player in like the biodefense industry, which is actually, I mean, that's the specific industry that works with bioweapons. That's whole model is like, we need to defend against bioweapons. Well, when you do research and R&D to defend against bioweapons, you basically make bioweapons. You know, he was also one of these speakers i think he almost seemed like he was the keynote speaker at this rally in dc and you know he stood on the steps with all those doctors in the lab coats he's all over the place as far as like what his actual position is does seem to be sort of taking a more generic infowarsy stance now but because he's so so much an insider he has all this credibility um but i'm just going to go through some threads that gumby for christ has written about him because there's a lot of interesting facts in these threads that I think that people should know about him that I think just kind of make his intentions a lot more murky. He is developing a recombinant COVID vaccine called Relcovax on behalf of a company called Reliance Industries, the largest company in India. So if he's anti-Big Pharma, it's like, well, that seems odd. Yeah, so he's just working on another COVID vaccine. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So, I mean, that kind of presents a conflict of interest. How do we know that he's not just trying to tarnish one vaccine to to promote another? I mean, like, I really don't know. I mean, I I don't trust this guy. He actually wrote a book with his wife, uh, one of the very, very early coronavirus or sorry, COVID-19 books written in February 10th, 2020. Um, He was really on top of like being like publishing something as early as February 10th, 2020, like an actual book. Um, that apparently is impossible to find, according to Gumby for Christ. He also helped get Merck, uh, a large pharmaceutical company's Ebola vaccine, fast-tracked. So meaning like basically like getting across or through the red tape that's usually put up that makes vaccine development take uh, a longer time because you have to follow certain safety protocols. So he was teaming with U.S. AMRID and serving as liaison between the Pentagon and the uh, World Health Organization and the Norwegian government to develop this Ebola vaccine for Merck. He wrote his own, like, uh, Event 201. <laughs> it was like, like a preparation guide for novel coronavirus in February of 2020? That's really just curious. You know, I wonder what it actually calls to do. That's what I, well, yeah, we, we need to get a copy of that. That's what I mean by, like, if you think like people like Ralph Barrick and these uh, Peter Daszak and these people who are like connected to the Wuhan, um, you know, lab are sketchy and what, and what they were doing and playing around with before uh, the uh, COVID-19 outbreak is sketchy, then why would you think that Robert Malone, just because he's coming out as this whistleblower, even though really he's not blowing the whistle on any of this shit that I'm laying out right now. Gumby points out how he's been on and off working with the military at various points throughout his career. 
he actually says this in an interview. He says, for the first third of my career, I was an academic. And then since about 2001, right after 9-11, I transitioned to working with the Department of Defense in developing vaccines and countermeasures for biodefense pathogens. Now, what was one of those biodefense pathogens that he worked as a countermeasure against? Well, this is interesting. He worked on the Bush smallpox vaccination program, uh, helping a company called DynCor, a Pentagon contractor that was the company that was going to produce the smallpox vaccines that were going to be mandatory for the military, like leading up to the Iraq war for no reason. They were just going to force all soldiers to take the smallpox vaccine. This guy, Robert Malone, was doing work for that project, specifically for the DynCor military contract. It's fascinating. So it's just really bizarre that he doesn't talk about any of this stuff. As far as I know, you just have to look this up about him. He also worked as the, uh, served on the Zika response working group with a bioweapons uh, bigwig named Michael Callahan, who I was talking about earlier, who became what would be known as DARPA's man in Wuhan uh, following the initial outbreak, according to Gumby. Basically, uh, Gumby says that he's, he's been involved in so many different projects, nearly all of them directly tied into the U.S. biodefense regime, everything from e-cigs to anthrax vaccines. Very interesting that he's taking the lead so much vaccine skepticism world right now. Begs the question, when did he flip to be so anti-global elite? You know, here he is working hand in hand with the largest criminal enterprise on the planet. You know, he's working directly with the Pentagon to advance all this kind of shit after 9-11. So what changed? What happened? I haven't heard him lucidly explain, like, does he still trust the U.S. government? Like, does he think that this is like people out, like forces outside the U.S. government that's like manipulating it? Like, what exactly is he talking about here? Well, I think it's nested in, Abby, a really interesting limited hangout. And I think this is what's really interesting at the core. And this is something that Gumby and I have sort of shared thoughts about, this idea that what is being omitted here from this? Mm -hmm. And it does seem like there's so much focus. Like he is leaning into the focus on Fauci and the NIH and the CDC. But what is he not talking about? Well, I don't hear him talking very much about all these really sketchy things happening at DARPA or the Department of Defense, or the Pentagon. So, like, that's interesting. It's like, if this guy is, like, an insider from that stuff, why aren't we hearing about how many crazy things were done through those programs? And I think that that's something that's continually being skipped over here. It's almost like, like, I wouldn't even put it past one of these agencies like DARPA or the Pentagon to be a breathing a sigh of relief for not getting any heat over this and over these like, uh, you know, like contracts to make vaccines and, and weird bioweapons and things like that, because like C Fauci and the CDC is getting so much heat. So I think it's interesting that Robert Malone just doesn't talk about any of these DARPA programs, really. These sketchy the contracts and these things he did and, uh, with Fort Detrick, for example. I mean, it seems like he's been involved in this biodefense scene during like every possible sketchy thing since 9-11. That's what I'm saying. It's like you have no words about the U.S. military or this entire secretive apparatus that you were working for the past 20 years. It's like such a limited hangout just about Fauci and the NIH. And it's just like, yep. I just don't buy this shit, man. Like, And what else is getting skipped over? It's like, okay, so you make it all about the NIH, Fauci, 
and Wuhan, mm-hmm. but nothing about like the U.S. military, and and specifically, you know, it's about. Did they talk about Pfizer sometimes? Mm-hmm. But what what are they missing when they talk about that? They don't talk about the pharmaceutical bioweapons nexus at large. How like these are the companies that are involved in the bio defense quote unquote mm-hmm. industry too. They're basically military contractors too. Yeah, so that's essentially who's like, been working for. And and they work for the Pentagon. They don't like do contracting for the NIH typically. That's not like what their normal thing is. It's they've been doing stuff with the Pentagon. Moderna got tons of money from DARPA. I mean, like for example, this paper that's been floating around, uh, you see it actually on a lot of people's like conspiracy postings on social media where they'd be like, this is the slam dunk paper that's like proves that uh, somebody submitted a paper saying they were going to make like an airborne modified coronavirus from like bat DNA. And what it is, is it's EcoHealth Alliance, the company that was doing like sketchy gain of function research at the Wuhan lab. EcoHealth Alliance was submitting a paper, Abby, in submission to a DARPA like call for submissions asking people to make like not like novel coronavirus stuff. <laughs> that's so, so that's weird. what's so fascinating. It's like dark like what are we not talking about? We're not talking about DARPA. We're not talking about the Pentagon. We're not talking about all these sketchy like bioweapons programs that the US are still doing. That's all getting missed. And I think that that's really curious. I think that says it all about this guy. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah like you said, there was even a congressman who read the entire Joe Rogan podcast with Malone on the as House if it was floor. like Martin Luther King's "I Have a Dream" speech. I mean, it was it's as if it's the <laughs> most important. And then also you have a Project Veritas huge breaking thing where it's like it. And then again, they get like banned off Twitter because they posted this video. Wait, and and it's like, dude, why are they banning these people off Twitter? But they post a video where it's a DARPA memo from a DARPA like military high up military guy named Jack Murphy in a memo saying all the same things that the alternative media like right media said about covid that the vaccines were um like that the 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 virus itself escaped from the lab that it was actually meant originally as some kind of bioweapon um that it escaped from Wuhan that ivermectin was a treatment that was suppressed so project veritas releases this memo and What's really odd, Abby, is the guy who it leaked from, Jack Murphy, Project Veritas actually was like, now we didn't we didn't get the memo from Jack Murphy. We don't think he's the one who leaked it, but we reached out to him to see what he had to say about its content. And what he said to Project Veritas sounds like a straight up like Michael Flynn QAnon quote about how like we need to all do this together to uncover the truth against the corrupt elites and all this shit. It's like, dude. So there's basically just like a DARPA employee who's writing memos, who's like recycling war room pandemic talking points in memos named Jack Murphy. And then Project Veritas, quote unquote, leaks the memo out. And this is what's considered like breaking news to prove that this is a man-made pandemic all of a sudden. It's like, wait a second. So you basically just launder. Yeah, I saw Brett Weinstein being like, uh, what am I looking at here, DARPA? Brett Weinstein yeah, yeah, yeah. out. He was like, um, what is this? Like, what am well, I looking at? Use Please your fucking explain, head, you dumb DARPA. motherfucker. This is what happens now. People in the government like watch InfoWars and like check out War Room Pandemic and take it seriously. And that <laughs> shapes their worldview. And yeah, they're going to write memos. That just recycle all the same. There's nothing new in this memo. That's the thing. It wasn't like 
he's putting any like facts, internal military information in this memo. It's not a memo like that. It's like an, a pontificating memo where this guy's just spewing all the things like he heard B- Bannon say on War Room Pandemic. It's quite bizarre. And and again, we're supposed to see this as some kind of breaking news revelation. I'm not trying to be a debunker, but I'm looking at it thinking like, I just don't get how this has the legs that people think that it has. It's it's just not how it appears. I mean, it's crazy, Robbie. And, you know, let's talk about the mRNA technology. That two of the main vaccines, the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccine, are using mRNA technology that Russia and China are not. Now, China has administered over a billion doses of their own vaccine. Um, They are contemplating adopting the mRNA technology. This was reported in December that they are thinking of doing it this next year. I don't know why, if their shit's been so successful. It seems like they pretty much fully eradicated COVID with the vaccination and the lockdowns that they did. But I don't know. So I don't understand the nuances or like the ins and outs of the mRNA stuff. But what's interesting is that this isn't like a global thing. Not all the vaccinations are the same. So when we even talk about vaccines, it's like there's so many nuances even to that. Like you can't just blanket vaccines against COVID in one fell swoop. There's so many different vaccines and there's so much different technology going behind them. So many. Yeah, that's this is one thing that I think is really important. And I hope if you take anything away from this podcast, regardless of what your opinions are on the situation, that you maybe learn this uh, from just this list of the different vaccines that are being used in different countries. Pfizer, also developed uh, by a company called BioNTech, their mRNA vaccine is one of the only two mRNA vaccines that were produced to fight COVID, and both of them were produced here in the United States. Um, Moderna is the other company. The Johnson & Johnson vaccine actually uses what is called a vector type of vaccine. Now, obviously I'm reading from the CDC's website, so uh, you know nobody's going to take this seriously. But I mean, let's just assume the CDC got this right, that a COVID, that a viral vector vaccine uses a modified version of a different virus, a vector virus, to deliver important instructions to our cells. First, COVID-19 viral vector vaccines are given in the upper arm mes- muscle, The COVID-19 vector virus is not the virus that causes COVID-19, but a different harmless virus. So this type of vaccine, the vector vaccine, is more like a traditional vaccine that we've seen in the past. Now, apparently the problem is that their effectiveness is not, and again, I don't know where these stats come from, so I don't know if they're fully trustworthy, but apparently these vaccines that have been made for COVID are not as effective as the mRNA vaccines, which seem to require at this point three doses, which seems like a ridiculous amount. I'm not sure how many other doses these require. I'm assuming just one. So, but the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, according to this thing, it says one dose of the Johnson and Johnson vaccine is only 66% effective and it's a vector vaccine. Now, the Sputnik vaccine, Sputnik 5, which they call it, the Russian-created uh, one, the state, I, I, 
I don't know if it was, I'm sure Russia subsidized like a pharmaceutical company there, but it's like considered like the Russian state vaccine or whatever. Um, it's called Sputnik 5. It offers 92% protection and you need two doses approximately 21 days apart. Now there's also the AstraZeneca vaccine, which you know, apparently was also made available around the same time as Johnson and Johnson. I don't know where, you know, where these vaccines are still being distributed at, but that one only offers 76% effectiveness, two doses, eight to 12 weeks apart. Now China's vaccine, um, and this, you know, makes me think that the stats I'm reading are actually wrong, but their, their vaccine is called an inactivated uh, type of vaccine. It's more similar to a vector vaccine than it is to an mRNA vaccine. It has something which is considered an inactivated thing that resembles the COVID-19 virus um, that creates some level of immunity. But again, apparently you need two doses, 21 days apart, and it's only 79% effective. It's called Sinopharm. Now, like, I mean, I haven't heard it's it's the effectiveness is that low. I mean, what do you think? Do you think these stats are are juked to make America look better? Like I, I'm, it's my Maya Care Health and Wellness Simplified. So like I don't even know what the fuck. I mean, apparently the mRNA technology is supposed to be like revolutionizing in terms of this. The, the thing is, like you're like you said, it was like new. But yeah, I mean, I I I believe that they're more effective. Yeah, I mean, see, it's, again, it's like. I I don't know, you know, it's such a, it just feels like such a new and changing situation that I just don't, I don't know what to <laughs> trust, even when I look at statistics like this. But I guess the overall yeah. point of reading all this off is that most of these other countries um, have developed their own non-mRNA based vaccines. So when it comes to Russia, they have Sputnik. When it comes to China, they have something called Sinopharm. Uh, when it comes to India, they have, uh, I believe, I think it's uh, Covishield. So there's these are the main ones apparently available right now. N- apparently, there's also another American-based one uh, made by a company called Novavax that's uh, what they call a subunit type of vaccine. So there are actually four different, as far as I know, different genres of vac- vaccinations like just for COVID-19 in play right now globally. Now, I guess the question is how many other countries are buying Moderna, Pfizer, and the mRNA-based vaccine? Good question, because what we see is strikingly similar tactics used by the corporate media to delegitimize the vaccines that you're talking about. Oh, no, no, 100%. vaccine, Vaccine skepticism for me, but not for thee. So you see this massive purge of people like Robert Malone and anyone who's saying anything that could be construed as vaccine skepticism against the vaccines. Yet you have mainstream publications, Wall Street Journal, Reuters, Times, New York Times, basically saying Chinese vaccines, in so many words, the Chinese vaccines are not to be trusted. The Russian vaccine is not to be trusted. At the same time, you have U.S. policy making it extremely difficult to vaccinate these populations. For example, Cuba. Cuba developed their own vaccine. Um, They are almost 100% vaccinated in Cuba. But the thing is, they are out of syringes. And the U.S. refuses 
to lift certain stipulations of the blockade to let them get syringes so they can vaccinate their own population. It is absolutely fascinating the way that you see this vaccine skepticism play out against other enemy countries. You have even op-ed writers saying that we should be mocking people who die. Oh, yeah. Like literally, like an L.A. Times um, op-ed guy, like literally wrote an op-ed being like, we need to mock people who are sick and dying that are unvaccinated. It's like this is the shit that you're seeing, these harebrained, insane takes across corporate media, while at the same time, it's perfectly acceptable to delegitimize vaccines from so-called enemy countries. So the question of where is Europe getting their vaccines? Because when I've looked around at these other countries, you know, like India seems to have their own vaccine. Uh, like you said, Israel uh, seems to be using um, Pfizer, is it, or Moderna, or both maybe. Um, and Russia has the Sputnik mm-hmm. vaccine, and China has the Sinovac vaccine. Where is Europe getting them from? Well, unfortunately, it does seem like Europe is getting them from the two American uh, pharmaceutical companies, Pfizer and Moderna. However, they are also getting somehow a larger supply of the AstraZeneca vaccine in Europe than we are here in the United States, which is like seemingly totally unavailable here. It was available at the very beginning. They started talking about it, but then like you never saw it anywhere, like actually given out. You don't even see Johnson and Johnson anymore, hardly. But you don't even you don't see AstraZeneca at all here. But you talk to people in the UK and in different European countries, and they're like, "Yeah, we still have, you know, choice between Pfizer, Moderna, and AstraZeneca." That's been my general talking to people. I didn't look at the exact breakdown of country to country, and actually, I don't even really know how this contract got set up. So, it is kind of unfortunate that these companies have this much influence all over the world right now with a vaccine where they're not releasing um, the information about it. It's still a secret patent. And that makes it even more disturbing than it is when you think of how much these are being used worldwide uh, right now. Moderna, I think, deserves a lot more heat and criticism uh, than they have been getting. Um, They're kind of a mystery box of a company. Uh, One of their board members actually became a member of the Operation Warp Speed Government Pandemic Response Plan when Trump was still in office. You know, Moderna was actually assailed by Nature Magazine sometime back in, I want to say it was like 2013. It was the highest valued biotech company on the NASDAQ stock exchange for a really long time. And people are starting to wonder if it was some kind of Ponzi scheme because they never had a peer-reviewed published paper for a long time in their first several years of their existence. And people were like really confused how this is even possible. Well, they were getting a bunch of money from DARPA They actually got, I don't know how many hundreds of millions, somewhere in the neighborhood of $100 million to research how to use mRNA technology to cure all these different types of muscle diseases or muscle conditions and different types of diseases. So they were getting money from DARPA for like that kind of research. When they first started, they hardly ever published any papers. And then suddenly they started publishing peer-reviewed papers. They said, sorry, we couldn't do it earlier. Things were just so competitive in our industry but you know now we're like really excited about what we have to show it wasn't too long after that that the pandemic happened so like they didn't even really they weren't even around actually publishing things that long before the pandemic happened so it's still somewhat of like a mystery company in a lot of ways relatively new on the scene and what's odd is you hear all this talk right now about the myochondritis um 
Pfizer side effect of the heart inflammation from the Pfizer mRNA vaccines. But what I just read, an AP uh, story says that it's actually four times higher apparently in the Moderna version of the mRNA vaccine versus the Pfizer one. And I kind of, I was just blown away to see that because it's like all people are talking about, like we've said, it's just Pfizer nonstop. And yet Moderna just doesn't seem to be getting the heat that it deserves um, as a company. Yeah, I haven't heard anyone talking about Moderna. Like this podcast is the first time that I've even heard any of this stuff because it really is, you don't see Moderna advertising in the same gross way that Pfizer does and it is totally under the radar. I'd never heard of the company before. It's definitely worth shedding a light on. I mean, the problem with all of this is like, you know, you sent me that clip of, I forget the guy's name on Joe Rogan, correcting him about the myo myocarditis risk, saying that it's actually higher if you get COVID. Like the risk is yeah. way higher if you get COVID than it is if you just get the vaccine and don't get COVID. But then I saw Joe posting this other study that The Guardian covered that said that no, in teenage boys, it is like way more of a risk to take the vaccine and get, you know, effects for your heart than it would. It's like not worth it for like adolescent boys to get this type of vaccine because they do have a higher risk of heart inflammation or something like that. So it's like, it's just so confusing. Yeah. Even when you feel like you're reading the right stuff, like the conventional wisdom about this stuff is changing daily. Uh -huh. And like, because of the variants and mutations, it's like, it is so hard to actually keep track and have a leg up with even what you think is yeah. right. You know? I mean, I was surprised to see that the CDC actually had to add, you know, as we talked about on the last episode, I think you might've stepped away while I was talking about it, but the, they actually added a side effect warning on their website now about this. But just like the menstruation thing, Abby, they, they take this tone where it's like, well, then you like, it, just check your heart and like go to the doctor, but like in like 14 days, you'll be fine after you get like myocarditis. <laughs> like that's like the, actually the sort of the tone that it takes on the CDC website. So it's funny how they fully acknowledge that it's a known side effect now of the MRNA vaccines. But yet if you get it, shake it off, you're going to be okay. Don't worry too much about it. It's sort of the attitude. And I just find that kind of ridiculous, but it's that's kind of on their website. Go look at it yourself. Actually, I just found the Guardian thing. Um, it's actually about the Pfizer Interesting. one, of course. Okay, but it's a study that talks about how quote healthy boys may be more likely to be admitted to the hospital with a rare side effect of the Pfizer COVID vaccine that causes inflammation of the heart than with COVID itself. Their analysis of medical data suggests that boys aged 12 to 15 with no underlying medical conditions are four to six times more likely to be diagnosed with this specific thing than ending up in the hospital with COVID. So, I mean, something to seriously you know, consider. again, it's like, I think that this whole vaccination push of young, young kids, especially like them proposing to have, have forced vaccinations of coronavirus for like five-year-olds. Yeah. And, like, the, just the prospect of not being able to actually, like, be in school without vaccinating, like, little kids, it just doesn't make any sense to me because they are not at risk. Mm -hmm. Like, even if even in the child hospitalizations, like, that was really scary, right? The risk of hospitalizations for children have gone up dramatically, like, doubled, I guess, from what it was before. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're in ICU and they're, like, you know, on ventilators and stuff. It just means that they were admitted to the hospital. Yeah. You know, and so it just means that it could be like way more people were 
infected. Like I, there's so many, I guess there's just so many factors that go into this and it just worries me that it just seems like we're on an irreversible trajectory of like mass vaccinations and like mandatorily so for young, yeah. like essentially just babies. It just doesn't make any uh, sense. Unless it's a really deadly, I could see a scenario where it would make sense to have a campaign to try to force that on the public somehow. It would still be ugly to force vaccines on really small children. But if it was like a virus that killed 30% of the people who got infected with it, like smallpox, I could see the argument be made, even though that vaccine that they pushed on the public was fairly dangerous. Like you could have like one to six out of a million people could instantly die from taking it. Like if people knew the risks, the full long-term risks of these vaccines now, that's the problem. It's like, we don't, we just do not know. We are sort of riding by the seat of our pants and trusting what we're getting in real time. And it just, we kind of just have to trust our gut on some level and decide where, how we feel comfortable. And if you're a young person and you do a lot of like athletic stuff and you already even maybe have like a heart issue, I mean, there's serious considerations here. This is not something to fuck around with. I mean, like your, your health is really important you don't want to get COVID, but you also don't want to like increase your chances of like, if you have like a heart condition at a young age, you don't want to get increase your chance of a heart attack, getting a vaccine that doesn't even seem like it might not even stop the next variant at this point. So it's like, it's getting less and less to me, like there's going to be an argument for this extreme social pressure, you know, unless a variant, two variants well, from now is like, mm-hmm. this is the one that's going to kill everybody, you know, but anyways, I, I mean, don't know. Jesus Christ, who knows where this is going to go. But, I mean, at least it does seem like actual established bodies are acknowledging publicly like the vaccine is not doing what we thought it was going to do. And so I'm just hoping that there will be a general consensus that like it, it, you know, this isn't the end all be all. The fact that we've seen like three different variants within a year is like pretty nuts. Yeah. And all of them cause different things and all of them infect you in different ways. And it's like, fuck, man, like, it's crazy. But, you know, even the UK's Joint Committee on Vaccinations and Immunizations said that they do not recommend vaccinating healthy 12 to 15 year olds. Um, Yeah, I I believe it. Yeah. You know, unless they're like unless they're like with an at risk person or something. So this isn't like out there stuff like this is actual bodies who are in charge of vaccination programs in places. And the more we know about them, I think the more we're going to start seeing medical bodies coming out and, and releasing these statements, just like how when Bush tried to roll out the smallpox program, there was already so much knowledge about how the vaccine would affect people that there are immediate, like large bodies of, of doctors coming together saying this is highly unnecessary. We should not be doing this. So I think we are being taken advantage of in the sense that we just, it, we, we a lot of things are kind of I mean we're being really pushed on it's it's not like we're being told okay yeah like think about it like chill out it's like you, are you gonna take this or not like you got like there is like a really intense um pressure out there there is an intense pressure but I also will say that based on everything that we've talked about in terms of the side effect stuff it is like an immediate thing you know and the fact that the CDC had to put that up there and that all of this is known about relatively quickly. I guess the myocarditis thing happens, you know, within one or two days after getting it. I mean, 
it's rare. These are serious side effects, but they are rare, but they also develop relatively quickly. So I guess I think a lot of people have this notion that, you know, I've, I've heard tons of people talk about this and tell me this, that, um, that this is different because it could like alter well, your like the mRNA, yeah. And that the, yeah, and that the, and that the whole thing is that this is long, like we have no idea what the long-term side effects are. So, you know, I don't, I mean, I can't comment on mRNA technology. I don't think that it alters your genes at all. But, um, I mean, at this point, I, I forget when the vaccinations were first rolled out, but like at this point, you know, it's like 200 million people or like more than 175 million people in the U.S. who've been fully vaccinated. I, I don't know. God knows how many people in Europe with these vaccines, Israel, you know, this is a huge sample size and, um, and so far, like this is what we know for sure is all everything that we're talking about. But so far, it does seem like this is the study. Like they're, you know, we've had a year and a half to now study what the impacts are, you know. So like this notion of like it causes infertility and this and that, like women are still getting pregnant. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's like there's nothing that I've seen that proves any of that in terms of beyond these risks that we've discussed. Yeah, I think it's going to take it's honestly just going to take a really long time to find any pattern of of provable long-term side effects where people will be convinced um at this point and there will be studies about it. I I I just think it's it's almost it feels too late to try to really get people to try to have more nuanced debates about this. I just every day it seems like people are getting more and more heated trying to talk about this, you know, from opposite sides. And I just see, it's just, people just aren't specific enough a lot of the time. And I think that's one of the things I'm realizing with our conversation is I feel like even when I've talked about this, what vaccines are we talking about? Like which, which ones mm -hmm. that needs mm -hmm. to be pinned down. Are we only talking about the Pfizer mRNA vaccine? Are we talking about the Moderna one? Are we saying that Bill Gates is behind all the vaccines because like in reality he only seems to be linked to moderna so i mean like financially speaking i mean something like they gave like mm -hmm. 250 million dollars to moderna or something so like it just seems like this requires more nuance again like we always say but just like if you're gonna go after these people like just make sure you're doing it in a way that's actually effective because eventually if this stuff is all just sort of ambiguous and vague and it's sort of like all the great reset, the new world order. It's not, it's going to be, it's not going to stick. It's just not, even if it's like, even if you think it's a really strong message to you personally on a gut level, you know, it's just not going to stick and really change people's perception against and, and focus their efforts against the right kinds of, uh, you know, elites and, and authority figures. Cause again, it's like, We've been sort of put in this weird position where it's like we now feel like uh, if you're a, from the civil liberties perspective, which authority figures are you going to rail against? Like your local mayors, your governor, the local business owner down the street who wants you to have your vaccine card checked when you walk in the door and they've decided to put that policy in themselves because it's not like a federal top-down thing. The Supreme Court just ruled today, and this is like kind of a mixed ruling uh, it was originally the Biden administration, it went to the Supreme Court, the vaccine mandate, employer mandate thing. And the Supreme Court actually knocked 
part of it down. They they knock down the part where employers uh, have to, you know, have employees that are vaccinated. Otherwise, they get fined. That got knocked down. There was something specifically in there about how it's unconstitutional to bar employees for companies from being able to collect Medicaid or Medicare if they're not vaccinated. That was ruled against. Like that's not that did not go through. So the Biden administration was trying to get that to go through, but they did get to go through all healthcare workers across the country now, starting today, Supreme Court ruled in the Biden administration's favor are required to get vaccinated for COVID-19. Now, unfortunately, if you're a healthcare worker that travels back to Russia or China, I don't think those vaccines count. So you have to get the corporate like Pfizer or Moderna, basically like mRNA or maybe you can get the Johnson & Johnson one if you don't want to get an mRNA one, but you really don't have a, much of a choice here. They really restrict what you're allowed to do, and they don't, like as you were saying, they don't respect other countries' vaccination status. So that is that is a big deal, and I don't know how that's going to play out, but that's like a ruling that's, you know, it's still not as severe in terms of, I just don't feel that as, it is as, as severe as like the post-9-11 climate. It's just very different. It's there are people who are mixed up in this political hysteria of like, we need to do these random and completely changing mandates and rules for the public good. Like they probably have gotten sucked in that and they don't, they're not doing it maliciously. They're just confused and think that this is what their voters want, or this is what's going to help people. I mean, I'm not, and I'm not making excuses for any like people holding office. No, they're doing it because they think that this is the benefit for public health. They they are looking at the mainstream science and they're saying, OK, we want to tamp down on COVID rates in our respective communities, especially if you are a business owner, you want to comply. Right. If, especially if you're an elected politician. I think that the vast majority of people who are taking these measures locally believe the mainstream science. They're part of the mass formation hypnosis. Truthfully, though, they are doing what they think is best for the public, which is trying to keep the virus at bay and and keep people safe. You know, if you are an avid civil libertarian, if you feel like the lockdowns and restrictions and vaccine passports and you're living in L.A. or San Francisco or whatever, and you feel like this is a, akin to tyranny. Yeah. Who do you blame for that? You know, I mean, it's it's not as cut and dry as like a neocon cabal putting in place like draconian like Patriot Act legislation that's just like never removed. It's like, you know, all that shit, like all the healthcare records and stuff that was part of the Patriot Act too. Like all that shit just never changed. All of our data, everything. But this is, this is a totally different situation that we're in today. On the other hand, there are definitely a few like, and I think they were actually, I don't want to, I don't know if they were senators, but there were some people on like a, an, an intelligence committee. I think they were maybe congressmen, who cashed out really huge at the very beginning of the pandemic by like um, pulling a bunch of their money out. Like when they got like an Intel briefing that like the coronavirus pandemic was going to be extremely bad. Do you remember that story? Uh, no. Were the, yeah. And like they, there was talk about them being investigated for a while. And so, I mean, it's crazy to think that politicians would just do something like that so brazenly, but they did. And, you know, and on the other hand, there are also like crazy elites who do talk about wanting to remake the world in their own image and have these crazy ideas about things like that. So at the end of the day, I guess it's all a matter 
of what are these people going to do with these new powers? Um, what are these like individual, you know, state governors and mayors and people, you know, uh, what are they going to do with these new powers that have been given during COVID? Are these mayors and local, you know, governors, are they going to like just keep them in place just simply because they're like drunk on the power of wanting to keep people look like uh, looking at their or um, checking your vaccine card every business. No, I don't, I don't think that they are in that sense. Um, so that's why I think that in, in a way that this whole sort of overall global biometric security grid conspiracy, like this is the great reset worldview is just does not fully add up uh, for me. I mean, recommend people go back and listen to the last two episodes about the smallpox uh, roll out by the Bush administration because in addition to all the stuff they did, they also wanted to vaccinate everybody when a pandemic wasn't even happening against smallpox. So that's where we could have been. Um, and people, I think, are acting like what that was is what's sort of happening now because that was dark-sided and weird that they would get us to comply to something so unnecessary. And I, you know, part of me is wondering, was that sort of the final thing to like psychologically test all Americans to see how much rights they'd be willing to give up. I don't, it sounds conspiratorial, but like, I don't know why they would go that far. Why do you think people think today that this is happening? It's like the scariest kind of fantastical thinking about where this could have gone. Like at the very beginning when, when what was happening in Italy, you know, started to happen here and we were like, oh fuck, like there's going to be like national guard units on the street. We're going to be full police state you know, police coming door to door, curfews, like none of that actually happened other than kind of piecemeal here and there across the country. There was no federal in the US, you mean. response. There was no, yes, in the U.S. There was no lockdown federally, which of course I think was a problem. And we can talk about that because I know you have a difference of opinion. But like, why do you think there's this hyperbolic hysteria about what could happen acting as if this is going to happen, that we're on the doorstep of tyranny when the Biden administration is basically picking up from where the Trump administration left off, which is essentially what the Great Barrington Declaration says, which is business as usual, you know, open things back up. Let's get back to work. We've beat it. We've beat it. And, and if we haven't beaten it, you know, we're just going to be endemic and we're just going to have to learn to live with this. And we have the measures out there where people can take personal responsibility and individual responsibility, individual choices. And that's just how we're going to roll with this thing. That's pretty much been cemented in stone as this is where it's going to go. There's no insinuation whatsoever from the federal government that there's going to be any sort of lockdown again. You know, and, and the deaths are astronomical. I mean, I just read today that like 2,500 people just died in one day. Like, that's fucking crazy. I mean. So I guess I guess my question is, why do you think there's this hysteria around this kind of notion that that isn't true, that doesn't exist here right now? Well, it's weird because I, I mean, like, there are a lot of things on the books, like in on you know that were passed on the federal level that really can remove our rights like at any second if the government decides that like an epidemic or pandemic requires them to that's and that's been there and they've increased that since 9-11 like all the bioterrorism scares there was stuff that wasn't even in the patriot act abby that like really quietly 
got passed, which I'm shocked to read about now doing these smallpox podcasts, where it's like really uh, gives it basically gave the Bush administration the authority to do like lockdowns and stuff for like like bioterrorist attacks. So like and 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 by ba- doing that, I mean like taking away people's rights completely, not letting them leave, uh, putting them in detention, all that kind of stuff, um, forcing them to get vaccines of things that were like even more experimental and you know more documented to be dangerous uh like uh like the anthrax vaccines and things like that so it's weird to me that like alex jones and a lot of those people who used to talk about how like fema and how the you know the the military is going to come to your door and make you take a vaccine or make you do this and that nobody who's like a right wing or sort of looking more conspiratorial world worldview about this is talking about that happening. And I find that interesting because that is something that, you know, technically as cartoonish as Alex Jones made it sound, the seeds of what he was saying, like is actually partly true. The military and FEMA would be the ones like doing, enacting those types of laws. If they were emergency authorized here to like be put into action. So it's sort of weird how it's become this narrative, Abby, where it's like only people who seem like they're Democrats are the ones doing anything hurtful or will be the ones that do anything hurtful, like the liberal elites. It's not the military or FEMA that's now threatening and that's going to like make you take the vaccine. It's like your local mayor or your local school board or your principal at your school. That's what's sort. Of, that's what's different about what the sort of new right wing conspiracy narrative has done versus even like the Alex Jones one. So I think that's an important distinction, dude. You're, dude, that's such an that's such an important point, Robbie. Oh my god, I can't believe I never thought about it that way. And it's so interesting because this is like the inevitable end of the whole Alex Jonesian way of thinking, like you know, Endgame, all the police state movies that he put out in the early 2000s, it all was going to the biosecurity state. It all was going to end with the forcible injections, the the chip. You know, it's like, it's so funny because it kind of has manifested into like, that's just naturally where people are piecing this together. It's like, oh, look, we're in it now. Alex Jones was right. But as you mentioned, it all is kind of funneled into no it's just the democratic party establishment which really keeps up that narrative that helps the right wing of course which is just the gut not only because it's the democratic party but it's because big government right it's the government shouldn't provide anything for us cannot provide anything for us and that's why you have people loving this narrative because they don't want to give credence to the notion that the government can provide things for people that they can give us health care, right? Because it undercuts that Koch brother philosophy or the Alex Jonesian philosophy of like, again, it's like all about you. It's the rugged individualism. And then I think people would start rethinking what could the government do? How could the government t- take care of its citizens? So it's like this just helps that entire corporate oligarchy to like have people not only veer into the conspiratorial lane of thinking that you're talking about, but just adopt that anti-government anything when it comes to preparedness or response in a global pandemic. When I see like right-wingers going after Pfizer or these right-wing pundits, I don't see any like substantial damage being done to them or anything really like hurting Pfizer that they're saying. It just seems again like a Fauci style foil 
as much as I think both Fauci and Pfizer deserve an ex- an extreme amount of scrutiny, especially like Pfizer. I mean, but it, again, it just shows they funnel everything into these specific avenues where it is more of a systematic thing. Like regardless of Trump or Biden, if they wanted to at any point, they could really try to push into effect some of these emergency authorizations. In fact, Trump sort of let it slip in that speech one time what one of those emergency authorizations allows. And he actually said that he, with Operation Warp Speed, will will have the National Guard deployed to help get vaccinations to everybody. He said that when he was still president. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, That's mm-hmm. The, that and Alex Jones, for all his craziness, he was more over the target in the classic days. That was, Those are real things. You know, you could piece them together and make a more New World Order plot kind of thing out of it. But those are real actual, you know, things at their core. But again, Abby, it's like the military are the patriots. Like, they're not the bad people. Jack Murphy, he's an insider, patriot, whistleblower, instead of being just some jackass who watches InfoWars and published InfoWars talking words in like a document. It's... <laughs> yeah, even though Trump had this essentially the same policy, you know, Trump, that's why Trump's out there being like, you fucking cowards, tell me who got the booster. He's like all he's like all these Republican cowards need to say that they got the booster and stop being terrified of your constituents. Like he's out there just like railing against people who aren't just honest about the vaccines and boosters and stuff just to be for like political. It's so funny. Yeah, because, I mean, he's a wrench, you know, as much as they were able to use him, he's still a (laughs) wrench. And that's why he's not going to I don't think he's going to be able to win in 2024, even if he wants to now, because it's he's too erratic. He can't, he can't stay on their whatever script they want to do. And they've already doubled, the Republicans have already doubled down too much in acting like this is their position, even though the right has traditionally been uh, very pro these kinds of things. And, and it's mostly just been like the more conspiratorial, like patriot movement, right, that hasn't been go, you know, willing to go along. I mean, I have recordings in the last Smallpox podcast I play between Fauci and Arlen Specter. You know, classic uh, Republican. Some say he was a moderate Republican. Um, this is the guy who came up with the magic bullet theory during the Warren Commission. He misunderstands in a discussion with Fauci uh, that the smallpox vaccine will kill one in 6,000. And yet he's still very eager, he says during this exchange, to get his grandchildren vaccinated as soon as possible for smallpox out of fears of terrorism. So that's like where the right wing's head was at after the war on terror. But I guess the reason I keep bringing up the war on terror in the 9-11 Bush era is because that really was, I think, a clear signal that this was a coup of some sorts to really remove our civil liberties and take us into this like new stage of fascism for whatever reason they had. They, you know, whether you believe they exploited 9-11 or had something to do with it, it, it was utilized for some kind of fascist coup. Like overall, you know, how like the, the the idea of like Cheney tried to create a unitary executive. Well, it's like for some reason this was like a fire sale to just be like, let's see how many like rights we can just remove as quick as possible, and like get all that shit over with like really fast. Like I don't know what the like Machiavellian you know agenda behind all the domestic stuff was, other than that more conspiratorial frame. But I just do not. It's not to me is applicable to what's happening now because 
you know, maybe unless you think there's going to be another shoe that's going to drop, like eventually with this whole COVID, like if you think you're looking at this more like this is a setup for something that's that they're going to do or they are going to do whatever, whoever you want to call them. I can understand that more, but saying that like, this is it when it does seem to be just sort of like, it's not as intense as it was. It's not, we're not getting as fear mongered as we were, but yet Abby, after nine 11, people continued to believe pretty much indefinitely until like ISIS got destroyed or whatever, that like terrorism was a way of life. We lived that world. We, that sunk in that reality stuck this reality that COVID is going to like wipe out everybody and that it's going to be the end of the world and that this is going to be the end of like civil liberties as we know it, I just do not think is shaping out. So just in case it sounded like I'm downplaying the idea of losing civil liberties, I just want to specify like losing it as we know it here in this country. I mean, here in the United States, here in the United States, there's not a whole lot happening to show in terms of that, like that's outrageous. Now, it does seem like there are people here, there are elites here even perhaps that are using examples of these situations in other countries to agitate us here in the United States, but not so much to like explain what's actually happening in these other countries. Like I don't get any better understanding of like what the actual laws are, what their people are protesting. Like when I watch these videos, it just seems like it is sort of agitprop-ish. Now it does seem like things are more draconian another country. So I'll just put this out there for our listeners. I'd personally like to hear more about it. If you are a Media Roots listener who is living specifically in a European country or a South American country or an Asian country or Australia, Mexico, Canada, because everybody's talking about how Canada is so draconian right now, chime in and let us know what you think about your own civil liberty situation and in the country you live in since COVID. How dangerous do you feel it is? How much under threat do you feel civil liberties is? I want to know. I want to hear from you. I personally feel like it is being overblown here in the United States. I think it's like if this, if they are implementing a biometric security grid here in the U.S., they're doing an extremely half-assed job. They're giving out paper vaccine cards to people. <laughs> they're writing down the, the date when you got vaccinated with a, with a pen. You get a QR code, I guess, to like get, like sometimes go through some of these little vaccine assembly line things, but it seems like pretty half-assed. From what I understand, they actually aren't doing a very good job of like keeping track of people who are vaccinated. So if this is sort of like a tracking system, it doesn't seem very sophisticated. There isn't like an app that they're telling everybody to download that's from the state or from the federal government that you're supposed to sign into or anything like that. It's just not shaping out to be that way. And meanwhile, you have Elon Musk, the renegade leather jacket wearing billionaire, who's the one pioneering the actual brain chips. And he's and he's a cool guy, I guess. So like it's not he's not a globalist. Yeah, he's got I the flamethrowers. These, <laughs> these same people love love the shit that he sells. I mean, it's totally yeah. true. There does seem to be a huge disconnect between whatever the people at the World Economic Forum are talking about in terms of like digitizing your heartbeat versus what has actually happened. It's so disconnected. Um, from the reality here in the U.S., which is just it does mm -hmm. it does seem like a huge mess, like a very disorganized giant mess. Nothing is centralized. None of the data is collected in like a way that makes sense, even if that is your perspective. So I'm wondering, how do you like square that? How do you square that logic? Well, it's it's fascinating because it's like, what if there are these like billionaires out there who like are like, we want all this data. 
Like, why is the government just, like, rolling this out in such a sloppy, like, disorganized ass way, like, just for some kind of, like, ha- you know, half-ass public health measure thing? Like, we want all this data, and they're, like, mad that they're not getting yeah. it. And they're, like, maybe they're trying to replace the infrastructure with something else somehow. I mean, like, I don't know. I mean, like, even the way that the ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine were pushed, because hydroxychloroquine specifically was pushed by Trump when he was in office, so it wasn't just like it came out of like the alt media sphere. It came out like from Trump too. And Ivermectin like sort of more came out of the alt media sphere. But those are just seem really arbitrary and sort of like artificially inserted. And it's really curious to me how those sort of became like so politicized on the other side. You know, like, like I mean, it's, it's, it's very fascinating. I, like, I, I don't get it. Yeah, you think that if these elites had planned this, like a lot of people actually think that this was all planned and carried out by the same people who are talking about the biosecurity state, like they would have had some sort of measures to be institutionalized, like rolled out immediately, you know, like like the machinery. Well, that's exactly. And that's, you know, from what I've seen that's on the books, the machinery that got rolled out was relatively mild, like compared to what actually is there, like in place. And this is, I guess, the scary part is the the pieces are technically in place. Like, if you want to get more conspiratorial conspiratorial about it, the pieces are in place all pretty much already, and they have been, you know, even since the Clinton era, like pandemic response, you know, FEMA, military like we were talking about earlier, the sort of more Alex Jones, the old school Alex Jones view is actually more of the more realistic variety than his more, the global elites, the world economic forum, the, the Davos class, you know, which is basically what he's saying now too. Um, But here's another piece that's already in place that I think, you know, is chilling in a different way than thinking that there's like a top down biometric security grid coming to get us all right now and we're all going to be enslaved to the system because of COVID, it's that a high percentage of like regular Democrats believe in very harsh penalties against the unvaccinated. Um, a surprising poll was released uh, that came out on January 13th this year. It says that voters are 48% of the general uh, respondents to the poll are opposed to Biden's vaccine mandate push, including 40% who strongly oppose the mandate. 78% of Democrat voters support the Biden administration's COVID-19 vaccine mandate plan. Only 22% of Republicans and 41% of voters not affiliated with either party support the vaccine mandate. That's actually a surprisingly high number of Republicans that do, based on all the rhetoric flying out that that 21% support mandates. 59% of Democrat voters would favor a government policy requiring that citizens remain confined to their homes at all times except for emergencies if they refuse to get a COVID-19 vaccine. Such a proposal is opposed by 61% of all likely voters, including 79% of Republicans. Nearly half of Democratic voters think federal and state governments should be able to fine or imprison individuals who publicly question the efficacy of the existing COVID-19 vaccines on social media, television, radio, or in online or digital publications. That, I mean, that's actually probably the worst result in the poll that scares me the most. But it's not on. even saying that like... Yeah, the, what? Go ahead. the wording trips me up because it's like fine or in prison are two pretty big 
you know, th- those aren't the same. That's thing. true. But I mean, yeah, but I, I'm still even really chilled by the idea that that many people would want to find people who'd be questioning the efficacy. No, I totally agree. I, like, I totally agree. It is a very yeah. disturbing poll. Just for some context, Rasmussen reports is traditionally, uh, you know, they, they try to cater toward Republicans. Every single poll that they put out during Trump's administration showed him having a higher fi- favorability rating than other polls, not to discredit this it. poll at all. Like the poll is valid. I actually looked at the questions because I couldn't even believe that the wording was like what they were proposing it was because it was so hard yeah. for me to actually believe that people think this way. But the wording is true. I think that it's generated mostly from fear. And I think yeah. that if you were to poll Republicans about what they think should happen to communists or communist sympathizers, I think that you see a <laughs> yeah. lot, like, way crazier shit, like maybe, like, execution squads. So, I don't know. I'm not excusing this at all. I'm just saying it is very disturbing. I think that there's fear driving a lot of the polarization, and this is actually just a sad, really sad and stark example of how much mass media can brainwash you into thinking that we need to, like, penalize people who have a different state of mind and it is yeah punish the unvaccinated and i do think that like we don't know how much death and suffering these people have gone through we don't know any of these people's stories or what makes them think the way they do so i guess i'm trying to hold some sort of empathy instead of writing off all the democratic party bases like fascists (laughs) for thinking this way I'm, i'm trying to garner sympathy in the same way that like the hyperbolic, hysterical fear-mongering about communism makes Republicans actually, like, want to kill everyone who's, like, a communist, you know? And, like, just thinks yeah. these cartoonish falsehoods about the reality that we live in. You know, I'm just trying to find some nuance here. It is it is a startling revelation, though. We also have to remember that we've all been really isolated from each other. And, I mean, Dasha brought up this point. If we don't hang out and socialize with each other and see each other as often as we used to, just as, like, human beings out in society, then I feel like it's kind of much easier to dehumanize sort of the other side or, like, your political enemy, too. It's almost kind of creates... It's not, I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that the Democrats got into this mindset because of, like, the, like, an opposite and equal reaction to QAnon, but I think it's, like, coming from a similar, desperate, fearful... Uh, headspace in a way and it's like they see this is the solution it's like we will of course we need to punish people who don't take the vaccine it's like everybody needs to take the vaccine you know it's like some kind of it's a it's sort of a desperate this is our only hope kind of thing yeah no it, it does come out of desperation i guess that's the vibe i get from it yeah because of just how much of a failure everyone's been and because they have made it just focus so much on vaccination as opposed to actual public health measures that you know, like providing health care for everyone. Like you would think that that would be the first and foremost government policy. <laughs> like, you know. Yeah, that was that was the moment where Bernie died to me, like on TV, like his soul died. Because it was like he was, it was like that, it was such a heightened and atmosphere where it was like the last debate. It was right at the beginning of the pandemic where everyone was terrified. It was in that weird, tiny, low ceiling room studio at CNN and and Bernie like just seemed really burnt out, and he should have just been like, "Dude, come on! Like, we need free healthcare. Like, of any of any time, to talk about this. Like, fucking come on! Like, healthcare. Like, what? 
Like, we still don't have this shit, and there's a pandemic. Two years into like, a pandemic. you realize pandemic. how bad this shit's going to be? <laughs> like, he should have just gone, like, full, I'm mad as hell, like, old guy on TV. Like, fuck it. I mean, come on, dude. Um, but, yeah. Joe Biden's a friend of mine. <laughs> He's a very, very good friend of mine, and he really cares about people, Robbie. We're living in such a bizarre, dysfunctional society that's essentially a collapsing empire that you see the dysfunction play out where people have such hyperbolic notions of what tyranny is. They've never really lived through things before, you know, like other European countries have gone through coups. They've gone through like extreme disruptions in like daily life because of global politics and stuff like that. We just externalize all of our violence. We worship guns. It reminds me, honestly, not only of climate change denial, like you said, like, you know, the kind of akin to like the, the debate about climate change. But it also reminds me of the debate about guns because we're we're so obsessed with guns and the sacred notion that we deserve these semi-automatic weapons and stuff that you cannot pry them from our cold, dead hands. No matter how much gun violence there is, no matter how many mass shootings there are, there's just this bizarre thing that you cannot take away from us. And I think that politicians have understood that. That's why they've just kind of given up on like trying to do anything with guns. And I think that that's what they've done with COVID. Like it's gotten to such a bizarre realm that people are just, they've already speculated that this is what's going to happen. And so they've already hysterically seeded that narrative that this is coming. And so like the government's just like, okay, like we're not going to do anything. And not that the government would have done anything if that were not the case, because I think that when you look at neoliberalism in general, the go back to work mantra is really what helps businesses and the government is completely captured by corporations. So it makes sense when you see the policy, but I think that it's, it's, it's as weird as that. Like, reality doesn't match policy right and it hasn't for a long time but like that that to me it's like the same just kind of fan fantastical thinking where you're like you cannot fucking touch my freedom you can't fucking impede on my liberty to the point of like neurotic insanity i'm a civil libertarian in my own right you know i i, I think that we share that passion for civil liberties and that's what drives a lot of our political beliefs but I also understand how absurd it is to be like, you don't ever pass any gun legislation because of like this, what the fucking Second Amendment says. It's like, come the fuck on, right? Or like, I mean, and we can talk about lockdowns right now, but like, I just want to say my piece about lockdowns because I think that this is what we should have done from the beginning. I do feel like it might be too late at this point, but I do think that the government can be a useful tool, right? And if it has... Um, if we have organizing power to push certain policies, we could have had a lockdown at the beginning that paid people $2,000 a month to stay home, that gave people PPE, that had a mass testing apparatus set up where you can get on demand, rapid at-home tests. This technology has been around for a long time. Um, grocery delivery. Direct UBI, cancellation of rents, not just the eviction moratorium, which of course expired a long time ago, but straight up cancellation of rents, cancellation of mortgages until we figure out what the hell's going on, <laughs> until the outbreaks were under control. We had an opportunity to change. And when COVID hit, I remember thinking, this is it. This is it. We're not going to just accept this, this degradation and like this 
mass death. We're not just going to become complacent. We're not just going to let this be normalized with no health care. And, and we did. And we did. And the government just got away with it. And what the lockdowns did in the way that they were done here were just a huge, massive wealth transfer to the top fucking 1%. All it did was give ammunition to the right wing against big government. The government can't be seen as a solution. It created this huge void for huge sectors of the population to get pulled more against the left, more against Democrats, not that Democrats are the left, but you know what I'm saying. It's like they saw it as an overreach because now the abysmal failure of the government to do anything to tamp down on the virus has basically ended two years later with them just saying, it's up to you. Vaccinations are our only solution. What do you think is going to happen in a society that's rotted to the core, that's so fucking dysfunctional, that has no consciousness about community or public health care, that has no critical thinking, media literacy skills? What the fuck do you think is going to happen in a society like that when the government is saying, okay, COVID's rampant, but guess what? We're not going to do anything. You just have to get vaccinated and we're going to fucking humiliate and mock you and make life impossible to live until you comply in only certain areas, of course. As you said, there's no federal mandate. The mandate just got thrown out by the Supreme Court. But I mean, in certain cities of the country, how are those mandates going to work? How is making anything compulsory going to work as a last ditch effort when you've thrown everything else out the window? When we don't have education, when we don't have healthcare, when we don't have anything set up to deal with how out of fucking touch people are about reality. It's like, how do you think this is going to go, dude? You know, the surplus death that we saw that Epic Times and the right wingers are running with claiming that they're actually vaccines when I think a lot of those are due to COVID. But I think a, a portion of that is also like drug overdoses and possibly suicides because of the extreme isolation and the confusion and people not understanding when this was ever going to end, you know, the effect that the mass death has had on a lot of society. Who's dying? A lot of these people are minorities, people of color, poor people. Who has diabetes? Who's obese in this country? A lot of people around food deserts who don't have access to healthy food, who don't have payments that they can pay for health care. I mean, why don't we think about these things? And And so, yeah, I mean... If, if it were me, if I were the president, I would do a lockdown, a federal lockdown, and I would pay everyone. I would cancel the rents. I wouldn't give a fuck about what businesses wanted. I would make sure that everyone was cared for. And the first thing that I would do is roll out free health care for everyone and free mental health. And, um, and I think that that's really the only way to go. Unfortunately, it's too late. It's too late. And, and there's going to be no relief efforts whatsoever. No more checks. You had a senior Biden spokesperson saying that they're not going to incentivize sitting at home, Robbie. Why would they send us checks? It would just incentivize you to not work. So basically, I think the whole pro or anti-lockdown paradigm is kind of a false paradigm. I think that you can be anti-lockdown in the sense that you don't agree with what the U.S. did or a lot of these other neoliberal countries that push austerity and just don't give a shit about their populations and used it as a huge power slash wealth grab. Or you can look at communist countries' responses to the pandemic. Venezuela, Cuba, China. What did they do? 
there were pretty extreme lockdowns, but they also provided basic social services and really did focus on the population. Um, Grocery deliveries, PPE, really deliberately made sure that workers were protected first and foremost. Um, And I, you know, that's where the argument kind of falls apart when we're looking at, oh, the Great Reset or this global conspiracy to just bolster the profits for Big Pharma or, or a couple other key corporations. That's kind of a cartoonish, overly simplified notion of how the oligarchy works, right? It's not a global thing that controls every single country. I mean, obviously, this is a global pandemic. Obviously, COVID is real. And there are millions of people who are dying. And other countries dealing with COVID is an interesting facet. It's a good window to see how, what are the other options to try to mitigate the worst effects of COVID. And there are plenty of corporations who were extremely hurt by the temporary lockdowns in some states. And so it is kind of absurd to make the argument that it's actually an anti-corporate argument to be opposed to lockdowns and that lockdowns actually helped corporations because of this massive upward transfer of wealth. Yeah, in a country as fucked up as ours, obviously everything's going to be fucked up um, with the way that this government manages huge crises. But I, I just think that dismissing the notion of, of, you know, mitigation in terms of lockdowns is kind of missing the point because I think that as organizers, as people who are politically active, we can push for a utopian vision of what we want to see. We can push for, you know, the response that we would hope to see, even if it's not a possibility right now because of the material conditions of our reality. Like we can still organize and push for what we know needs to happen. Um, In terms of the herd immunity stuff, you know, I think that that's pretty fucked up. And I kind of said that at the beginning, you know, this notion that we should just let the virus rip through everyone. Uh, And that's what Colleen Rowley said to me. She was just like, you fucking idiot in so many words. She was just like, how did you buy it? Like natural immunity is 27 times higher than vaccination. It's like, no, you don't know if you're vulnerable. Not everyone knows if they're immunocompromised. Not everyone knows if they have a comorbidity or whatever. And But I do know, based on a lot of the data that I've parsed through, is that natural immunity, having been contracted with COVID, is stronger if you are vaccinated as well. Even people who are pushing the natural immunity thing have to concede that with vaccination, your natural immunity is obviously stronger. Another problem with this argument is that to have natural immunity, you need to have survived COVID. (laughs) So it's like, you don't know what, that's the whole point. It's like Russian roulette. You don't fucking know what COVID is going to do to you from the short term or the long term. So it's like to mock people and be like, oh, you fucking idiot. Like, how did you get vaccinated? Why don't you just get COVID and have natural immunity? It's like, you don't know what COVID is going to do to you. And also, um, how come it's not working? How come I, How come there's so many reinfection rates? I've met people who have had COVID twice in like a month. Like, so what's the what's with the natural immunity? How come you don't immediately just get immune from contracting COVID again? Obviously, that's not working. We're seeing people with reinfection rates several times over of getting COVID over and over again. Where's the natural immunity argument? We've had COVID for two years now. 
tens of millions of people have been infected with COVID that are getting reinfected. Where is the herd immunity? Where is the natural immunity? Why is this happening? There's obviously a big hole in this argument. And on top of that, even if it did work, I still do not support social Darwinism. I don't support letting viruses rip through vulnerable communities when 100 million people in this country have vulnerabilities. I care when people die. I'm an empathetic person. I care about people who are obese. I care about people who have diabetes. I don't want these people to get sick and die. And I've seen a lot of people callously disregard the mass death by being, well, they had comorbidities. Oh, they had this. They had pre-existing conditions. So what? You don't have empathy for people who have diabetes or who are overweight? That's sad. I'm just not that type of person. And I, and I feel like there's a really callous kind of underpinning to this argument that, that needs to be understood, that it's not okay to just think about this in this way. So yeah, and then going back to the argument about everyone's over 60 or over 70 who's at risk, it's like, yeah, I consider people who are the older community in our society as elders who have extremely important life experience that we need to cherish and prop up like to just think of older people as expendable is just like trash dude like i'm not there just going back to what we started talking about a lot of people are really just doubling down into these like different team positions on this there's been very little room left for like uh, like honest nuanced discussions giving people space for their decision to get vaccinated or not, and not, like, coming down like a fucking, like, you fucking dumb fuck, like, you fucking brain. <laughs> some of these threads, like, some of the people, you know, from the old school truther movement, their sort of COVID takes have just gone, you know, fully into, like, sort of the, the more clickbait conspiracy realm, and all the comments, all of them, every time they post are just, like, these fucking idiots, like, everyone just is just so reactive about one team or the other. I mean, but it's, I mostly pay attention to the more like the right wing sort of flavored conspiracy stuff. So I tend to see more of that emotional reaction coming towards people who've chosen to get vaccinated. Um, but I just want to stress that we definitely were oversold and led to believe that the, these vaccines would, would stop this and that you wouldn't get COVID. Like, so that's the pro, I mean, that's fundamentally going to be the problem moving forward here. From what I understand historically, um, there hasn't really been a situation before, like it is unprecedented to to do a lockdown in the middle of the pandemic and like quarantine as much of the population as was done in like Italy and other places during the beginnings of COVID. Like those to me do seem like really extreme. From the data that's out there, about how effective the lockdowns were in these European countries where they were imposed really quickly and harshly, where if you were out even like walking your dog, you know, you could be arrested. Like there were a lot of stories in Italy that were, it seemed pretty extreme for what they were, you know, how they were making their, their population stay at home, even in like the countryside uh, of Italy. And from what I understand about it, there is an argument to be made for public health. There is data to suggest if you sort of coalesce all the data together and look at it all, you can make the argument that in some instances it has a 
small but very discernible and potentially very lasting impact over time that could really like change the direction of things. But a lot of situations where it's been done, it has no discernible effect. So that's like where things get murky with the concept of do lockdowns work versus do they not work or are they necessary? It does seem like it is kind of a gamble. It's like you can do it. It's a very drastic maneuver and it does have the possibility of so potentially quote unquote flattening the curve. Remember it was all about we got to flatten the curve mm-hmm. together and that was the thing. Well, I think when you look at all this data or just what, what I've seen, even with some of the states and what's sort of unbelievable and what's really never, I think, been fully like debunked in like the whatever the mainstream, you know, a consensus is, has unfortunately not debunked the fact that when Florida did not impose uh, lockdowns, they had almost the same amount of spiking that other states did that imposed some of the harshest lockdowns or even lower in some instances. So like for all the shit that Florida is doing wrong and like how the governor's a, a fucking moron, they they that specifically didn't seem to actually play out against their favor. Like they Well, I saw I saw data contradicting that too that the only reason DeSantis was able to brag that he had the lowest rates of COVID is because it was like a natural decline in having the spiked so fucking high when they had no measures at all and it was they had the highest cases and then then it dropped to the lowest because it just not everyone got over this crazy wave and so there was more complicated nuances of that as well yeah there there could be i mean i guess my my take on it is that if you know if you're going to do a federal lockdown especially in the united states you'd almost need to live like i would almost need to live in an alternate reality where the United States is actually like a country that is not completely <laughs> corrupt. Like that's, so it's like, it's one of those things where it's like to ask, and then they'd also be putting people like, let's think of the little guy in these situations. They'd also be putting like soldiers and like normal citizenry, like pitting them against each other. Like if there was a federal lockdown, like they would have to probably put out national guard and people would get shot this is the this historically been shown with smallpox is when they impose lockdowns for people who were sick because they did lockdowns in the United States and different and it was again it was decided by state it was never like federally imposed mm-hmm. this is sort of what the the fundamental sort of difference between the United States versus European countries is we can see it getting much more like you know things coming down the pike like law mandates like coming down on a national level much quicker and and causing a quicker reaction here it's not doing that because it's going to be left up to the states and during smallpox it also was and certain states took very harsh measures on making sure people who were infected with smallpox or what they would call ring infections like neighborhoods that would be like infectious zones so they would like they wouldn't necessarily be like you, you know, everybody needs to stay home, but they would put like very harsh security and use law enforcement to make sure like entire cul-de-sacs, whole neighborhoods would stay home because like there were too many infections to trust that it hadn't spread to like everybody yet. And they, people got shot and killed who tried to leave. There were even instances where doctors got shot and killed, like during the smallpox pandemic uh, responses in the United States. And I, I guess the only thing I'll throw out here is that 
we also lack a lot of historical context, I think, just in this general topic. And it continually surprises me how people on both sides of this argument don't put things in perspective historically. Like, I think I maybe already vented about how a guy I really respect, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who's done some great work. I have no reason to, you know, he's someone that I, that I still think is very respectable, even though he's constantly labeled as an anti-vaxxer now. He said thing. He said things that are just fly in the face of basic historical facts and pandemics and vaccines historically that surprised me. Like I read some things that he said about, you know, child vaccine mandate laws, and he made it seem like this is the harshest proposals ever proposed of like countries wanting to you know propose laws for children to get vaccinated. The UK had infant vaccine mandates in, in like the eighteen hundreds. <laughs> So it's just weird for me to hear people who I res- like respect a lot getting their basic historical facts wrong. And it, it just worries me because it's like we just need to widen this discussion, whether we, you disagree with what we're saying or not. Let's try to create some more nuance and more widen it more because it's just it's gotten really like I mean, it's basically just gotten like QAnon ish on such a level that it's it's very hard to you know, trust anything in alternative media. It does. It, once you look at a lot of it, you're like, oh, it's cherry picked. And I don't trust, I don't go to mainstream media for my COVID information. I used to tend to seek out alternative media and just now I just don't anymore. But I guess ultimately to end my thing on lockdowns, it's just, I'm I anti the idea of like letting what exists in the United States, the laws impose some kind of federal lockdown here. I don't, and like you said, I don't think I don't even think people would listen to it. You know, like there, I don't even, even if it was imposed, I feel like it's still, it wouldn't really be imposed. Like things are still so politically broken that people would just like, even local cops would be like, I'm not, we're not going to let this happen. Like the virus is fake, you know, like even if the virus was, was 30% fatal for the population, like if smallpox happened now for real, like I still, I think we'd have like a QAnon level of, kind of fake weird resistance against it just because um so i don't know there's yeah it's creepy to think it's creepy to think what would happen if this really was like mers or sars yeah yeah and that you know i think i mentioned this also at the beginning that the right wing was at the very beginning steve bannon mike cernovich i i have tweets from them saved where they're acting like it was sars level dangerous some of the earliest hysterical narratives coming out of their media circuit were like even more hysterical than the mainstream media. I mean, so it just goes to show how much this stuff is shifts. How they blow in the wind and follow where their audience wants them to go. Because so many people who are out there pontificating against vaccines and making this into the, a culture war, they're vaccinated. They're boosted. Of course. They're fucking lying to you, dude. Yeah, of course. Especially something like Fox News. And, you know, Ben Shapiro is acting as if he resisted the mandates and his company, uh, Daily Wire or whatever the fuck it's called, spent serious money on resisting these mandates. And I noticed in his use of language, he mentioned his employees, too, like he supported his employees resisting mandates. And I was thinking, so wait a second, why don't you just say in this tweet or in this series of tweets that we do not want any of our employees to have to get vaccines like we're like I'm unvaccinated or 
like half my employees decide not to get vaccinated and that's fine with me. Like there's things missing from his weird declaration. It's like, well, wait a second, dude. I feel like you're like beating around the bush here a little bit. Like kind of feel like your whole office is vaccinated and you're just not saying it or something with this weird yeah, statement no. of how you're fighting the these mandates. I mean, and look, I'm as anti-mandate as these people act like they are. Like I am anti-mandate. It feels even like a violation to me, even when a private business makes you show your vaccine card. I find that weird. I, I can't help it. It does feel weird. And I think it is a bad precedent moving forward. But all these right-wingers resisting the mandates, it feels like cosplaying. It feels like Tea Party, like, you know, 2.0. Like everybody's now a libertarian and I just don't buy it. I, I really don't buy it. If Bush told these same people to take a vaccine for smallpox, they would have been the first in line to do it. They would have been. I mean, so I just, again, it's just, it does seem phony. It sucks actually that there's not more left-wing resistance against the mandates. And I think that that's been unfortunate to watch sort of the right run rampant with that. And then just sort of, then they could be like, oh, you fucking, now the left are like, you know, in the pocket of pharmaceutical companies and pro mandates. It's like, you know, pro like vaccine mandates and it's 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 too bad there's not more left people being like no dude like actually we're like we have a really strong flank of people who are like this is gonna hurt the poor it's gonna it's just not a it's not a left policy to impose you know vaccine mandates like this for a situation like this maybe in a different situation you know a, a you could maybe make the left argument but not this situation in our dystopian hellhole shithole country, I don't think that mandates are a good idea, even though they only exist in like a couple cities across the country right now. Um, I agree with someone like Jeremy Corbyn and Richard Wolf when they talk about how they are pro-vaccine, but they're worried about mandates causing an unnecessary rift and further dividing the working class because when it's when something's compulsory in a really dysfunctional society that people are literally divided on like what reality is it's going to create an enormous schism that is only adding to this kind of harsh polarization of debate of dialogue right now we need unity moving forward. We need to organize an alternative to the system before it kills everyone. And I personally think that there's a third way. I believe in tracking and tracing and I believe in testing. So instead of vaccinations being compulsory as like this last ditch effort, like, oh, well, we haven't tried anything else really. So like now it's just about everyone vaccinating themselves. Like, why can't we on one hand Obviously, healthcare and a massive push for education and public consciousness about about health and offering those services in low income communities who are being hit the hardest from COVID. But why can't we issue tens of millions of rapid tests, tracking and tracing everywhere I went in Europe? You track and trace. It's not that fucking hard. Whenever you go in a restaurant. You put down your name, your phone number. It's not for the government data mining you or biotech security state. It's for people to just inform each other if someone contracted COVID. Because it's a community response. It's like direct action within that little tiny pocket of the community. So I feel like there has to be a th another idea or another way that we can think about these things. Because 
by being vaccinated and by supporting the things that we're talking about, it doesn't mean that the left loves big pharma or trusts pharmaceutical companies. Because individual freedom trumps everything else, and including logic, we're at the point now where literally any effort to contain this will be seen as a sign of authoritarianism. I mean, so it's really pointless. And so, you know, the onus is just on us to just do direct action and mutual aid. And we're just left to fucking die, basically. Um, I think that we need to lift the intellectual property rights. We need a huge education rollout. And we need massive consciousness and uh, just a, a, an empathy chip installed. <laughs> and these, I wish the vaccines came with an well, empathy that's what chip. Elon Musk is going to come and save us. Abby, he's going to be the first brain chip creator. Um, there's no mistake about the fact that pharmaceutical companies have American politicians in America by the balls. That's, I mean, that's why you just don't see the right railing against the pharmaceutical like industry at large. That's why I think it's easy just to channel all the rage against just Pfizer, just like it was for like Ted Cruz to battle Facebook and Twitter, you know, in on the House floor. At a certain point, these are just theatrics. They're not, it's rhetoric that's empty. I don't feel like this is sort of the, you know, the 9-11, this is like another 9-11-like sort of national security, domestic privacy grab that people are feeling like it is. I guess that's just not where my head is at. And well, you're the most conspiratorial minded person that I know that's very that's also very intelligent and you are able to really like intellectually kind of dissect these narratives. And so I I appreciate you saying that because we have had two years to look at this. It's not like this just happened and we're like, okay, here's our here's our bulletproof like consensus based on, you know, this just happening. No, we've had two years of lived experience. But just because this isn't as crazy and as hyperbolic as some of the more oversimplified great reset conspiracies, that's not to say that it isn't really, really bad for civil liberties in a lot of countries. And even here in the United States, and even just this mentality that's, that it's instilled in people, like that Rasmussen poll, that's really dangerous that it's instilled a mentality like that in people. And I think it's going to have vast repercussions moving forward. And not just that, just on a psychological level and sort of dehumanizing the other, uh, but people have lost their entire livelihoods as a result of some of these government policies on COVID all over the world. So whether it's intentional or not, there are very bad effects from some of these government overreaches uh, worldwide as a response to COVID-19. Let's just hope that most of them get reversed and countries that are relatively democratic feeling or, you know, uh, like if you want to call the United States a democracy, let's hope most of these local measures, uh, vaccine, um, you know, cards having to be shown when you go into a bar or restaurant, things like that, um, end eventually. Because if they don't, it, that's going to be a really weird world to live in. And yeah, I think if I am living in that world permanently, like if that was going to be the permanent world I lived in, I would start to become increasingly conspiratorial and be like, this is this is fucking unnecessary. Basically, what I'm saying is I do think I don't want to downplay any of these concerns. But at the same time, I don't think that this is that globalist power coup that people are talking about. It's going to be exploited, I think, on more fragmented level with individual 
governments and leaders all over the place. They're going to decide. I totally agree. It's hard to paint everything with a broad brush because there's completely varying policies and effects in every single country that's dealing with this, which is every single country in the world. Um, You mentioned before these viral movies of different protest movements happening or erupting across Europe and elsewhere because of the COVID restrictions. They are all context-less. I have no idea what the circumstances are with any of these video clips, so it's really, really hard to even understand what's going on. And, you know, I'm just trying to focus on what's happening here because as a leftist, as a socialist, I truly do feel like the correct thing to do is try to organize for a better response, right? Organize for a movement that can get everyone insured, that can get everyone health care. The majority of unvaccinated people in this country right now are insurance-less. Um, the majority are poor, lower-class people. And that's a huge problem, right? Because when those are the people who are getting demonized and kind of, you know, just forgotten about, uh, that that's a big problem. So as a leftist, I don't think that the response is no response. I don't agree with a lot of people who are just saying, you know, we need to leave everything alone and just let the virus run rampant. I think that the best thing to do is actually a more efficient and organized response, pushing the government to to give us things, <laughs> to, to pay us higher wages. Anyone who's working right now is an essential worker. Like, the shit is not stopped, right? It's not even waned. Like, I just fucking read at the beginning when we started doing this podcast series, Robbie, um, because we've done a couple iterations of this to put all our thoughts together over the last couple of weeks. And like when we started it, like a thousand people were dying a day. And I just read that like 3000 people just died the other day. It's just like, this should not be normal. And it's hard to summarize like what my thoughts are because there's, it's just so, it's so all over the place. But I think above all, my final point is just like, I, I think that everyone's life has value and I don't think that this is some big conspiracy to control us. I think that this is just what happens in a highly dysfunctional state that is rotting, like in every which way that has no feasible, like public health sector that has no safety net for its citizens. And it just exports violence barbarism and mass murder and so when you actually have like a crisis at home there's just it's just a complete disorganized mess mass failure and then of course there's no collectivism at all it's just like becomes about how you need to be vaccinated and then there's that whole other problematic notion of well what happens to the people who are not vaccinated and who refuse to get vaccinated um and that's where you get to you know the fact that you know, someone like Jeremy Corbyn, who I greatly respect, has a really good point about this. I mean, you're looking at kind of class warfare, not only from within our own country, but if you're requiring people like from Africa to be vaccinated with like our vaccines because you don't trust the efficacy of China's vaccine or Russia's vaccine, and then it becomes a very strange kind of thing where it's like almost like a liberal Muslim ban or like a like a new iteration of like a ban on like poor people who are trying to immigrate into this country or just like visit this country. I'm just saying it could get really sticky 
I know that that's not required to to enter the United States right now, and I don't I don't see that on the horizon. But like, I just don't know how far it's going to go, and so it does become problematic. Um, you know, one other point that I think is really relevant: the Biden administration basically just said that hospitals don't have to continue disclosing their daily death counts. So if that's true, what is all this, this, you know, all these people who are like, oh, they're just fear mongering about the death toll. They're just like publishing this. So like, we can just think that it's way worse than it is. Like all these people really died with COVID, not from COVID. It's like, well, we're not even going to really know that data anymore because there's no requirement to actually give it. And so it's just going to be a hodgepodge, random states still doing it on their own accord. And there's no like accumulation or centralization of even the statistics anymore because it's not going to be required. So it almost seems like the opposite is happening where they're just completely backing off um, and just throwing us a bone with these four free tests per household, like a one off (laughs) thing. Um, So that's where we're at. Um, We're not in a good way. And I mean... If anything, this is a sign that we just need to be involved in the fight because if we still are not given healthcare in the middle of a global pandemic in a country that has like the highest death toll, um, that's a huge fucking problem. And it shows that our government does not give a shit about us. They are not remotely scared of us in any way. I think that we need to be organizing a movement for healthcare and for higher wages and like for worker safety because this is our new reality for the unforeseen future, it is not going away. And so we need to actually organize for better material conditions um, that we're going to be forced to live in for the rest of our lives. I just think it's funny because a lot of people like Trish, for example, our, our friend of the podcast who lives in Tasmania is just like, what the, you know, she's just like, what the hell is going on over there? <laughs> it's like, why are we freaking out so bad when really nothing is going on? And I think a lot of people are perplexed looking at our society, just wondering what the hell is happening. Same thing after the mass shootings, like what the fuck are you guys doing over there? You know, Mark Ames and Yasha Levine, I think have, have had really, really crucial insight on this because Mark is just like, he's just been like, you know, there's a lot of pressure on alternative media individuals and independent media figures to pontificate against mainstream COVID science and to basically promote the anti-vax argument to succeed, to succeed, right? And that's unfortunate because it's not just the pressure to conform and get vaccinated. It's also the opposite if you want to make a living in this world. And that's a huge fucking problem. And it's also very scary that a lot of these arguments are being legitimized because of the mass purges and censorship. What do you think that's going to do? That's just going to further embolden the narrative on the other end. So I, like you said, we're too far gone. There's no coming back from this. All we can do is hope that people can take a step back themselves. And, uh, you know, I'm sure there's people in your friend groups or your families that disagree with you. And maybe it's time to just entertain those beliefs and try to have an actual curious discussion that is led with empathy and understanding because we truly are all in this together. Thanks for listening to our very, very long discussion on COVID politics. Thank you for being a Media Roots listener. And if you're not already a Patreon subscriber to Media Roots Radio, 
please consider becoming a Patreon subscriber, which gives you access to one exclusive bonus episode, premium episode, per month. To become a Patreon subscriber to Media Roots Radio, go to patreon.com slash Radio, and you can become one for as little as $5 a month or per creation. And right now we're doing a smallpox breakdown about the Bush administration's smallpox vaccination rollout program as our bonus episode series. The first two episodes of that series will be unlocked soon, and part three of that series will come out at the very end of January. Take care, everybody.